0: This podcast contains detailed plot spoilers, adult language, and mature themes. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, let's do it. 1989, the end of the 80s. While always a mixed bag, the decade was for many a golden age of Hollywood. The 90s would bring larger budgets, science fiction would take off with further advancements of CGI, but traditional action movies would soon take a backseat to the new craze of superhero movies or dump down remakes and even worse sequels. Welcome to a podcast of Rare Antiquities, episode 28. Today we review what is literally the last action movie of the 80s as we talk about Sylvester Stallone and Kurt Russell in Tango and Cash. My name is Harry, and I'll be your host for today's show. And my name is Jeff. I will be your co-host for today's show. And I'm Nathan, and I'm crashing to this party. The 80s. I just want to first look at the 80s on a high level here. Let's just talk about your memories of the 80s, as that was pretty much our generation as we grew up during that time just with respect to film how can you best describe the 80s for each of you because it means so many different things to different people jeff how about you start first wow that is a that's a pretty big question yeah you don't have to go it, too deep
1: i guess it kind of runs it, it runs the gamut of of everything i mean the golden age of the of the action film some of the great science fiction films star wars i mean you name it it's the 80s has it all it certainly has a lot of stinkers as well so i guess you could see such a it was almost like hollywood was kind of like rebooting itself during the 80s and it was like a giant explosion of absolutely every type of film under the sun and how it coalesced after that i guess we could debate but you know for me so many of my favorites in the 80s and and, and such a
2: unique look and feel of films from this time such a great decade for film nathan yourself i feel the same way where there's an aesthetic to 80s movies that i love And I also, I mean, maybe this isn't really true, but it also kind of feels like this is sort of the start of what you could now sort of call genre films because you had like these weird, like now like we get like, you know, lots of science fiction and and stuff like that. And the 80s sort of started the idea of, oh, we're going to do, they probably weren't thinking necessarily franchise right off the bat, but, you know, they want to try like big blockbusters and every studio needed these big tentpole movies. And for me, I love watching movies from the 80s, even if they're kind of bad, because there's so many warm feelings about watching and just the look and feel. And also, I kind of like looking back in time. (laughs) This is silly. But the way people used to dress and what their hair looked like. It's there's something I love watching about that. I don't know why.
0: Yeah, I mean with the you know, the dress code it's it's definitely something to marvel at, like how we actually got away with a lot of these things. So it's pretty funny. But yeah, that's every every era, every decade has its own style, of course. But with respect to to movies, whether I agree partially with what you said, Nathan, they're kind of this is the explosion of genre, but genre filmmaking existed before, especially in the '70s. I think that was kind of a mini explosion, or the the big bang of genre filmmaking started in the '70s. I think the advent of filmmaking and the freedom for filmmaking techniques. And obviously, we're talking about mainly the way practical effects were done, the way the cameras could move or dollies. I mean, I don't know all the technical terms, but I think them being able to free themselves from heavier cameras really allowed themselves to start really experimenting with the way things are shot. And that's one of the things. And obviously, then the introduction of CGI and special effects and all of these things in the 80s and the late 70s and the 80s really freed up a lot of filmmakers to expand their vision. And obviously the 80s, you know, so many things are remade these days and they're all 80s films. So obviously you look at the 80s and I think the one thing is, is originality. Even though there's a lot of unoriginal material in the 80s, I just think that with respect to so many films, it was just so original. And I think that also had to do with the timing of so many great filmmakers and writers coming out of school. We were just blessed that these people, we grew up during this age, and that's why I call it the golden age. That's just for me. But how about action movies now of the 80s. How can you best describe action movies in there? Uh, Nathan, you you go first. Like, What terminology comes to mind for you? And how about maybe any of the ones that you really are fond of or you really like? The first thing,
2: like when I think of action films of the 80s, the first thing that comes to mind is bad guys with Uzis. I don't know why, (laughs) that's just the first thing that comes to mind, which is why I really love this movie that we're going to talk about You know, one of my favorite action movies out of the 80s is probably like between Die Hard and Predator. I think, because those are two, like you were saying, Harry, like just very original ideas. And I mean, I guess (coughs) Die Hard is actually based on a book, to my understanding. But I think action movies of this era had, they were really trying a lot of new things and maybe towards the end of the 80s. And when you get into the 90s, they just kind of become the same over and over again. But I kind of think that there's something about 80s action films that you don't really have now it's kind of hard to put my finger on it but it's hard to get something like really original like not very many times now do you get a movie coming out and it's like whoa I'm like i'm so blown away by how unique it is and you know i, I wish i could see Die Hard again for the first time jeff yourself i think bad guys with uzis should be the new name of the podcast that's, <laughs> that's what i think
1: <laughs> yeah hard to say i mean I, I think Die hard is is the top action movie if not Of all time, for sure, of the 80s. As far as it has that aesthetic that that we've talked about, very machismo. I mean, all of the all of the men in these action movies, whether it's Stallone or, you know, Kurt Russell did a couple. Obviously, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you would go down the list. These very masculine men, you know, with big guns and not. A whole lot of I don't really know what the right term is. I don't want to say necessarily exploration of character because we do get some of that, but there are
2: there's two- no reflection.
1: Yeah, there's um, no reflection, and there's no quarter given. Like they're men, and that's it. Like they there's no reflection. There's no other layers of the, of their character other than the layers of their masculinity, which I think is an interesting comment on time. I guess it's like porn. It's hard to define, but you know it when you see it. <laughs>
0: I uh, partially agree with you guys. I'd say for the most part, there's no layers to or no depth to most, say 90% of these action movies. But you do get a lot of, I found a lot of the action movies were Cold War tension focused. A lot of, in some cases, political propaganda found its way into many of the action films at the time. You mentioned the masculinity. I mean, this really was the explosion of all that, with especially with Stallone and Arnie and, I uh, to a smaller extent, Bruce Willis and Chuck Norris and those other B-level guys. You had these kind of heroes that were really beefed up bodybuilders, and, and that expectation and aesthetic has found its way onwards and has now crept its way into how we want action stars of today to look or, and as well as superheroes, except they didn't need rubber suits to accentuate <laughs> their physique. But we also have, like, as you guys mentioned, Die Hard. Thanks, Adam West. Thanks. A- <laughs> deep cut. Uh, deep cut. The 80s also you you still have, is we talked about the originality, but it's the best of all those stereotypical benchmarks. You guys mentioned Die Hard, Predator, Rambo is up there for me, and that's, that's a character that I think that has, especially in the original one, it has a lot of depth there. It can range from down-to-earth characters to over-the-top ridiculous movies. So there's a large range of movies that fall into the genre. and Then you also have buddy cop movies, which is what we're going to be doing today and Lethal Weapon in that franchise is being what most people think of when it comes to buddy cop movies. And with respect to those '80s action movies, though, you may have partially answered this, but what are the strengths and weaknesses of these type of movies? I mean, you guys already partially said you know there's not a lot of character depth, but is what are the strengths of these movies then?
1: You guys just go ahead, free for all. Yeah, I think one of the strengths. I mean, we you know we talked about there's not a whole lot of exploration of the character or, or reflection, but I think one of the strengths is the focus of storytelling. We don't have needless twists and turns. We don't have needless superfluous storylines on the side with, you know, sometimes we get it with the kids or the girlfriend or the wife or whatever. It's usually just simple stories and great action. I mean, if you take a look at Predator for example, that movie's not about a goddamn thing. That movie's about an alien who kills a bunch of dudes in the jungle and Arnie blows him up with a nuke. With a nuke. That's what that (laughs) movie is about, and it's fucking. Brilliant. It's yeah. just fantastic. Die hard. Yeah, I know there's he's trying to save his wife, but that just has some context to why he's in that situation. It's about Bruce Willis killing a skyscraper filled with terrorists, and that's it. I love the clarity of the storytelling. None of those stories mean a goddamn thing, not really. It usually hangs on the charisma of the lead actor, you know, in the case of buddy cop films, the chemistry between our leads. And that's kind of it. They play it straight so that the storylines themselves, you know, don't go into... I mean, the storylines definitely go into goofy territory, but they play it straight. The leads sell it. And I think that's a huge strength nowadays. Like, that concept is gone because we always have to have some kind of twist or conspiracy, some bullshit about the guy's daughter, family, ex-wife, custody, some bullshit. And it's totally unnecessary, but that's always thrown into the movies now so i lament the loss of, of just the, the simplicity of these films
2: yeah i i have to echo the exact same thing because one of the things that bugs me now is that we have these these movies these action movies that may come out and you know they could just simplify it but no they have you know the the bad guy fighting to you know get insulin for his dog or something like that now and and there's always going to be that that, that <laughs> twist at the end I want to see uh, that movie. And, these, oh, <laughs> and and all these convoluted storylines that weave in and out of the regular movie. And it kind of almost feels like some sort of script writing exercise for someone to see like just how many threads and they weave in and out. And it almost becomes a little bit too clever. And I find now, too, there's not that many like, I mean, we don't really have the, the idea of the action star anymore, not the big action star, not the way the 80s used to have that. And in the 80s, yeah, it was the charisma of those stars that really carried the movie. And the other thing with a lot of these movies, not all of them, but the biggest sin that a movie can commit is to be boring. For me, I can forgive quite a bit in a movie as long as I'm having fun and it's moving along. Sure, nothing really matters, right? You look at the Lethal Weapon movies, nothing matters, but you have a good time just moving forward with these very very simple
0: stories. In some movies, whether you're talking about Die Hard or Lethal Weapon as examples there too, and I mentioned Rambo, there are some movies that, the better of the bunch at least, that do try and bring layers to the character in some small aspect. Now, of course, they they do that, but then it's so complicated in the action movies as you described today that it just loses focus. That's just my take. So let's just pull the curtain back a little bit and let's just focus on Stallone and Kurt Russell. Jeff, I know... I believe that you are a fan of Kurt Russell to some extent and Sly is your favorite punching bag. <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on these actors? Do you have any favorite movies for these actors? And then Nathan, you can you can respond too. So Jeff, go first. Yeah,
1: I, I love me some Kurt Russell. Yeah, he's one of my favorites from this era still works today and and has had some really good roles my i mean, hands down my favorite film with kurt russell is big trouble in little china and he's absolutely hysterical in that film and then everything else is a uh... Is a, you know, distant after that. But he's an interesting guy because he can be very funny, has good timing. He's not a great actor. I mean, he doesn't have huge range, but he's very charismatic. And, you know, he's not uh, beefy, you know, big, big, huge guy. He's a little bit more regular physique, but, you know, kind of, you know, he kind of gets himself into shape for some of the action roles that he's that he's done. You know, Escape from New York, Escape from L.A. are a couple of uh, goofy movies of of his as well that I that I quite enjoy. As far as Stallone, yeah, I definitely give him the gears a little bit, but I got a lot of respect for the guy, too. He's done, I mean, what what a, not just a long career, but varied as a screenwriter and as an actor and as a bodybuilder. You know, he's kind of got his distinctive voice. Which limits the types of roles I think that he's, you know, going to be able to give himself. But you know, you watch, you watch Rocky and First Blood. I mean, those are both very good performances from the guy. So he certainly has the ability to act. It's a, it's a shame. I think he's capable of more than you know he's allowed himself to do. I'm not as emotionally connected to his films. I know you're more a fan of his. Um, Arnie was my guy between the two, but. Certainly,
2: certainly respect him for, for what he's done. Nathan? I'm on the same page as Jeff. I mean, I think Kurt Russell, I was going to say he's great, a decent actor, but he's not necessarily a range actor. Uh, but he can kind of, you know, get into a role and, you know, it feels natural, but he doesn't ever do it. I think he's usually the same now when you see him and stuff versus, well, maybe not exactly the same, but certainly through the 80s and 90s, he played a lot of similar types of characters and Big Trouble in Little China is one of my favorite movies of all time and just like Jeff I was more of an Arnie guy growing up and for me it's weird because uh, like Rocky and Rambo felt like those are like a, movies that adults watch and that wasn't something <laughs> I would really watched so I wasn't really uh, really into them I, I think like the first time I thought oh like I really like this movie that that he's in was Demolition Man which was only a few years after Tango and Cash and that was you know I th- thought that was kind of, you know, for me, that's a fun movie. And I thought he was good in it. And, you know, he's one of those guys who's like one of those secret smart people. Because of his voice, like, you know, you think he's kind of a dummy, but he writes many scripts. And I mean, through the 80s and 90s, I think he's got his his name on. I'm sure he's co-written many of the movies that he's been in and, you know, throughout the years. I certainly would also have used him as a punching bag here and there. I've kind of lightened up over the years just because you know I think what he's been trying to do with the expendables movies and you know try and have like a bit of a sense of humor about himself I think that I think that's good for an actor who's in his sort of position you can kind of look back on his life and say okay yeah I, I sort of get a bit of the cheese factor
0: yeah for me I mean I'm a bit biased because like you know sly was one of my childhood heroes and he kind of still is he's not the greatest actor but Jeff, as you mentioned, I think he gets a bad rap. He has more range than I think most people give him credit for. And, you know, through stereotypes and maybe because of his voice or his looks, like he's not getting certain types of roles. And a lot of people think just because Rambo and Rocky were uneducated in, in a sense, they think he's also dumb. I think he's also done a lot of bad projects. There's some funny moments in interviews where he says that, his agent, him and Arnie, were in such competition with each other in the 80s that Arnie let loose some projects like, oh, I'm going to appear in Stopper, My Mom Will Shoot. Let's just leak that out in the press. And then Sly's agent says, oh, no, Arnie was going to do this. I'm telling you, he's going about to do this. So Sly signs up for it, even though he has reservations. And then there you get Stopper, My Mom Will Shoot and some other shitty projects. He kind of reminds me of The Cage. You know, I think there's some brilliance, <laughs> in, like he's some brilliance in, in Sly, but. Unfortunately, he you know, half of his work, I think, is very good and the other half is not so good. But of course, First Blood and Rocky, I think, especially when it comes to the Rambo films, Die Hard is probably my second or third favorite action film. It's not the best. I think First Blood, if we can classify it as an action film, is the creme de la creme that came out of the 80s. It's brilliant work. I agree with what you said, Nathan. It's a little bit more for adults. It's almost a slightly different genre, but then if I just want to go into complete action movie cheeseball fest, if I look at scope and epicness, I go Rambo 3. That is has the best action I've seen in any movie. But of course, Die Hard is right up there too. Kurt Russell, I love Kurt Russell, just like you guys. He's so charismatic that his mullet also oozes charisma. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think <laughs> his hair was like third build on this movie. It, it could have been, you
0: know, or, and if it wasn't, it should have been. Of course, you know, Big Trouble, Little China. I'm not as much of a fan as you guys are in that, but I do like it. I also remember, you know, Tombstone, Backdraft... Death Proof. He was great in that, even though the final product wasn't the best, but he was good. Tombstone was great. Tombstone was good, but I haven't seen a lot of his other work. I think Kurt Russell was really into a lot of romantic comedies in the 80s and 90s, and I really didn't watch a lot of that during that time, so there's a lot of Kurt Russell work out there that I should probably go back and watch, just, be, just for him. The funny thing is, is, I think both these guys are going to appear in the second Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I'm not sure if they're going to be together or not. I just remember seeing an interview with Chris Pratt, and he says he was The most exciting thing he was experiencing during the second movie uh, filming was that Tango and Cash are being reunited. I guess Pratt is a fan. So let's just quickly... Yeah, yeah, let's just quickly... I actually said that to Jeff just before we move on from that. I I remember I'd read
2: something similar as well, and I said to Jeff the other day, I said, you know, the the director of of Guardians of the Galaxy has kind of a sense of humor, so I'll be a little bit let down if there isn't at least a slight nod to Tango and Cash.
0: That might be pushing it, but I hope that's the case. It's it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. But... Uh... (laughs) <laughs> especially since I know the role Kurt Russell's playing I don't want to spoil it so I'm not sure that's going to be possible No you can you can high five a planet Okay, so it's you not, know about the planet, okay. Oh yeah, that's not, that's not really a spoiler. He, I mean, that, that is his
2: name. Okay, okay. He is literally the living planet, so oh, it's not a spoiler. Planet.
0: Okay, okay. let's just, before we get into the plot synopsis, guys, just quickly, very briefly, like 30 seconds, one minute, each of you. Tango and Cash, what are your memories? I know each of you have watched it, based on what you've seen. Jeff, quickly, any memories? Yeah, not really. I don't think
1: I saw it when it came out. I would have discovered this much later. And I see it here and there over the years. And the only thing that stands out to me for Tango Cash is every time I watch it, I've always forgotten what had happened. So every time I watch it, it's almost like watching it for the first time.
0: Hmm, that's that's interesting, Nathan. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I don't remember exactly when I saw it either. I know I definitely did not see in theaters. I, I, it's probable that I, I saw it on television. Maybe sometime in the early to late 90s. But until recently, I don't think I'd seen this movie in 20 years. And just like Jeff, I didn't remember anything. And I was so blown away by everything that happened.
0: Yeah, for me, I remember clearly because I was you know, a big Sly fan. So I remember reading in the newspaper, I was following this movie. It's a new Sly release. So I remember reading the review in the local paper and reviewer calling this one a massive disappointment and did get heavily panned at the time and i'll layer some trivia a little later but let me i end up watching this on home video rentals and i've been watching it ever since here and there on tv and then now i own the film let's get into the plot synopsis here so tango and cash cash and tango two very different cops in different police departments in la ray tango's passion is more in the financial world as he thinks rambo is a pussy gabriel cash is your everyday joe six-pack who enjoys pizza beer You know, how bad things get, he always has time for the ladies. Both Tango and Cash are good at seemingly stopping drug shipments to only one single boss named Perrette. You see, Perrette is a special kind of guy. One who seems powerful enough to manipulate the justice system and stay in the shadows. Yet his drug shipments keep getting botched by Tango and Cash. Oh, and he also might have special powers from his special relationship with mice. Who knows? But despite warnings from other subordinate bosses under him he sets on a plan to take down the two best cops in la by of course framing them for murder tango and cash unfortunately get terrible advice from their attorneys and admit their unwarranted guilt to receive minimum security sentences but perrette's special powers has them transferred to a maximum security prison and has somehow pulled the wool over the police's eyes as they are unable to track them down so tango and cash realize they are in trouble And after a night of puns, punching, getting mocked by Conan the Barbarian, and electrocution, in other words, FUBAR, they decide to escape prison After prison, they gather enough evidence to prove their innocence, find out who Perrette is, and they infiltrate his headquarters. After some 80s classic last-stand fisticuffs with second-to-last final-stage bosses, they find themselves in Perrette's Hall of Mirrors, who now has Tango's sister hostage and has wired the place to blow in only a couple of minutes. Mirror, mirror on the wall? Who is the dumbest villain of them all? Tango and Cash easily kill Perrette and escape outside before the headquarters explode to enjoy some newly added nighttime pollution, appropriately named Perrette. Tango and Cash realize that even though they are two very different people, they really work well together and are now BFFs. Maybe this is what the story of Superman versus Batman should have been. The end. Getting a dig on BBS. <laughs> Any chance I get.
2: Well, I was going to say I was disappointed you didn't start the synopsis with "Let's do it."
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to, I wanted to, but I, I had to restrain myself. It certainly
1: sounds ridiculous when you lay it out like that, Harry. And I think that, when you see it, it's even more ridiculous uh, <laughs> uh, overall. So, good job on the synopsis that you did. You did sort of capture the pace
2: and zaniness of plot. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think actually that synopsis. It makes it sound like actually like, you know, pre-average 80s action movie that doesn't even begin to capture the craziness of this movie.
0: Okay, so before we get into the movie, let me hit you with some trivia. And there's actually quite a bit here. because So we've already talked about Stallone and Russell, the main villain of the movie, who's Perrette. His name's Perrette. He's played by Jack Palance, whom I'm sure you're somewhat familiar with. Most geeks would probably remember him as the Joker's first victim in Batman as he played Carl Grissom which also debuted this year in 1989. But it was in many, many movies, and he was actually nominated for three Oscars for supporting actor in his career. And I can't vouch for the performance quality, but he won for City Slickers, which I've never seen. The only thing I remember in the Oscars is that during his acceptance speech, he did one-arm push-ups when he accepted it. Yeah, I remember that. I totally remember <laughs> that. That was, so. his, that was his thing back
2: in the day, because he was like 110. <laughs> he was doing ups all the time. He would go on talk shows and do it, too. And he didn't do, like, two or three. Like, he cranked them out.
1: He must have done, like, 10 or 20. I mean, it was insane.
0: Yeah, he must have done, like, at least 10 or something like that. But as I mentioned, he didn't. He made a lot of movies, but he didn't do much after City Slickers, which wasn't that far long after Tango and Cash. And I think there was a sequel to that movie. And he passed away in 2006. So do you guys recall seeing him in anything other than Batman and this movie? There's well, a movie was I City saw Slick. with
2: there's many times oh yeah um, i saw that there's one with chevy chase and like i forget exactly it's a stupid comedy of i think jack palance plays like a fbi agent or something like that and has to move in with chevy chase's family because they're he's like watching a house across the street or something like that it's it's ridiculous but yeah i don't know that his career that well jeff i can't i must have
1: seen him in something i mean he's I don't he's know so if Iconic is the right... He's what's dis- that?
0: He's distinctive.
1: He's very distinctive, yeah. But no, I can't think of anything else that he stands... I mean, he stands out for me from City Slickers. That's where I... would I mean, obviously Batman, but I know him from City Slickers. That's probably the the biggest thing that I know him from. I think his career, his heyday would have been, you know, 50s and 60s. So, you know, wouldn't be that familiar with uh, with that time. But he sure has a very distinct voice and manner about him
0: yeah yeah he does but yeah i haven't aside from batman in this movie i've never seen anything so so this movie had many 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 production problems the original director of this film he's a russian director andrei konchalovsky was apparently fired by producer john peters because peters wanted the movie to be even more goofy and humorous while stallone and konchalovsky wanted a bit more of a balanced tone because this movie started filming without a finished script, as soon as the movie started getting behind schedule, Peters fired Konchalovsky which was three months into filming at the time and then executive producer Peter McDonald stepped in and he had actually directed uh, Rambo 3 so he was a temporary replacement as a director until another director named Albert Magnoli came in Stallone also had issues with the original director of photography Barry Sonnenfeld and he had him fired, Warners also did not want to budge on the release date which was December 15th 1989 which is one of the which is why I was saying it's literally the last action movie released in the 80s where there were reshoots in late late fall early winter of the year, and the movie was scrambling to make its release date. Warner's execs also wanted to trim down some of the violence at the last minute to avoid some MPAA issues, so in the last act, we don't see a lot of blood out of the victims, and there's a lot of quick edits and when the bad guys get shot because they wanted to avoid some additional gore. One of the writers on the film was Jeffrey Bohm, and he had worked on the scripts for all the Lethal Weapon films, but he was quoted as absolutely hating this movie, and he called the script awful. He did his job, I guess he was a but he didn't even want to be credited for this film at all so you'll never see his name on the credits. Composer of this film is Harold Faltermeyer and Faltermeyer's name may not be as famous as you guys uh, to you guys like John Williams or Jerry Goldsmith but just out of curiosity do you guys recognize the composer's name or any of his scores?
2: No. No, but I kind of felt like the movie sounded like Beverly Hills Cop.
0: Uh, very good. He, he was uh, very prominent in the 80s, and most people would recognize his work on the Beverly Hills Cop movies. Aha, nailed it. <laughs> yeah, uh, he created the Axel Foley theme that's pretty mm. famous. His style is more synth with respect to music, and that which is pretty obvious from this movie as well. He provided music for Top Gun, The Running Man, Fletch. He did other work in the 80s as well, but shortly after Tango and Cash, he semi-retired to focus on family life. But apparently, his protege, or, you know, I don't know how closely they were related, but apparently Hans Zimmer was heavily influenced by Faltermeyer and his scores. And that's why when you hear some of Zimmer's scores, you hear a bit of synth aspects mm. to his music as well, oh, wow. even though it's a bit more modernized. So this movie's budget went over by about $20 million, mainly because of delays and all those production problems they had. According to Box Office Mojo, it made $63 million domestically, which was pretty good. But I can't find any information on its international take. But apparently this movie was very successful on home video sales, and the actor who's playing ponytail henchman Rakeen his name is Brian James. He had mentioned in interviews that this movie was so successful overseas that for several years he would get swarmed by media and fans all the time because of this movie. Him. He's the one getting swarmed. Um, I'm a little skeptical of that, that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, but you never know. And finally, one last bit of trivia the actor originally scheduled to play Cash was not Kurt Russell, but was in fact Patrick Swayze. But he dropped out to go star in Roadhouse, and Kurt Russell was then cast. So. With respect to sequel, considering all the production problems this movie had, it's probably no surprise there wasn't one. And Warner's also owned this one and also owns Lethal Weapon. And Lethal Weapon 2 was actually released earlier in 1989 and made so much more money that they probably just said, let's just focus on more Lethal Weapon sequels and drop this one. So. Guys, any uh, thoughts on the trivia before we start getting into the movie?
2: So in total, what was the budget then with the I, $20 Or
0: I think one source I saw, I couldn't find it again. This was like early on research. I think it was $55 million and it made wow. $63 million domestically. But internet, you know, like Stallone was very, very famous in the 80s and 90s for international box office take, both Stallone and Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I would assume it, it would have made at least that amount again overseas if not more so it probably made its money back maybe a bit of a profit and then if it was so successful on home video so probably was a profitable venture for warner brothers but again because they had lethal weapon rights as well during this time they probably said let's just ditch this and there's so many problems and then you know let's just focus on lethal weapon
2: i am still surprised that they wouldn't have at least tried for a sequel because i don't ever remember hearing the idea of floated
0: i think there was another thing and this is not something i could find recently but a long long time ago i kind of remember reading an article with kurt russell and he says he will never appear in a sequel because he feels it'll never talk Uh, the original and i think maybe that could have been one of the other roadblocks there as well i see so that story but whether that's true or not i i have no idea so let's get into the movie tango and cash so we have the opening here we have tango chasing the tanker full of drugs let's talk about the scene as a whole tango stopping the tanker the aftermath here you even get the introduction to perette and his cronies let's talk about everything up to but just prior to when we first get introduced to cash
1: yeah you know what's interesting as i said before where I kind of forget about this movie every time I see it, I always remember him shooting the tanker, and and you know, and the cocaine starts pouring out. Aside from his dinky little gun, is you know, I always sort of see the film, and they, and I think they try to go for it as well. Where I see Stallone as the -the by-the-book cop, you know, he's wearing the three-piece suit. I'm assuming that, you know, they chose the gun specifically so that it didn't look like a giant, you know, Clint Eastwood hand cannon, you know, more refined, a gentleman, but he's not a by-the-book cop. Like he's out there on his own. They're telling him to turn back. I would suggest this is a dangerous maneuver for a police officer to try to pull over a tanker in this, in this manner. And, you know, when he's, you know, shooting it in order to uh, unveil the evidence, like everything here is not done by, he is not a straight laced by the book cop. He is still a rogue <coughs> cop, he's just wearing a three piece suit and so it's always kind of jarring to me to watch and be like, okay, yeah, no, he's not really all about the paperwork and procedure he still goes off and, and does it, uh, stuff on his own, so that's sort of what really stands out for me at the start
0: here. Hmm. How about the introduction to Peretna's cronies as they drive by right after the well, it's, is captured? Yeah, it's
1: it's pretty goofy, you know you mentioned in the synopsis of it's sort of like the second to last level boss and they kind of start telegraphing that right away it's a very cartoonish type of villain uh, you know jack palance is chewing scenery through the whole thing here it's appropriate i think it works it's kind of an 80s movie villain i, I think it's appropriate and it puts a smile on my face to see it but no, there's not a whole lot going on other than the other thing i had written down is that you know tango kind of has clark kent vibe going on
2: with the glasses in the three piece suit. Yeah, it's it's kind of funny that like even to this day we just throw glasses on someone and it's just this shorthand for oh, they're real smart. And uh, and 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 like Jeff, like I thought it was weird, you know, that he's wearing this suit and he's not a buy-the-books cop because you know, like Buddy Cop Well, I guess we haven't really had the introduction to Kurt Russell yet, but I wanted to know what was what were the bullets that he was using because there was no. I mean, not that I need a real explanation, but he's got a snub-nosed revolver. He takes it replaces the bullets, and I thought, oh, okay, this oh, is going to yeah. be interesting. He's yeah. going to be. while well, they're setting up. He's a really great shot. But now he's got these special bullets that are going to somehow take out this tanker. But there's no explanation as well as that, like, was the glass bulletproof or something like that? It was It was odd to me that there's no explanation for that. I wonder if it was just edited out. And then, of course, you know, Stallone at the height of his power is able, you know, is confident enough to call Rambo a pussy, which I <laughs> had a pretty good laugh at. And uh, the other two mid-level bosses there, James Hong and Mark, Mark Alamo. something. Mark Alamo. Yeah, yeah. yeah Goldicott. Yeah, Uh, I I love those two actors, especially James Hong. I mean, I see him pop up like when you need sort of like generic, not generic, but kind of like, you know, Asian bad guy. He was always kind of a go to guy in the the 80s there and into the 90s. Yeah, it's a little cheesy, but it's actually I did kind of appreciate that. It's like, okay, like we're barely five minutes into the movie. We're getting all the players and I kind of like that pacing. I don't know how you guys felt that, but I was like, oh, okay, yeah, we're here's the bad guy. And he's like, oh, I'm laying out a plan. Don't you guys worry, right? And I did appreciate that. Okay, we're just moving the story along.
0: Well, actually, the thing that I enjoy the most and I laugh laugh out, out loud the most here is I love how Perrette and his cronies drive by because he had no faith his shipment would actually make it. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> you'll see later, like, all the shipments get captured by the police. So he had to drive by to check on it. But I agree with you, both of you guys, in a sense. You get a good timestamp of what 80s lifestyle was here i mean you get stallone's three-piece suit the bigger you know which is kind of that open long fashion coat the high pants the double-breasted you get the big round eyeglasses Even the police chief, he comes out with these cheap yellow sunglasses that you buy at like Walmart, which I think was a style at the time. But what I enjoyed here was the dialogue was already really light and and fluffy. And the puns start right away. Rambo's a pussy. Oh, would you look at that? It's snowing. And these are all winks to the audience here. And I really enjoyed it. But actually, one of the first things I actually really noticed that I really wrote down was the soundtrack. So we talked about Harold Faltermeyer. It's a very synth score here, very 80s. And I think the Scores should be talked about as we go through this movie because it's very very noticeable just like I guess lethal weapons soundtrack was very very noticeable and diehards was noticeable and predators and rambos and that's something I think that we can talk about is 80s action movies is that the score was very prominent and distinctive in all of these action movies at least the ones that were the best of the best and I don't know what you guys think about that with respect to scores in the 80s even within action movies or even with- I absolutely agree yeah absolutely
2: agree and I I kind of it is something I, I maybe forget about here and there but I love hearing I mean I like synth music in general and electronic music I don't know like what how you feel about m- modern action movies but yeah we don't really kind of get anything that's terribly memorable even though like this is like you know it's still kind of a riff off of and I actually when I just watched it I, I was like man that sounds like I thought it was gonna go into the the Beverly Hills Cop Theme. I forget the name of that theme song, but it was so similar. And, I, and even though it's a bit of a riff on it, I, I really did enjoy
0: it. Yeah. To James Hong, as you brought up, Nathan, uh, he's playing a guy named Quan. Just about James Hong, as we mentioned, like he's been in so many movies. He's been over 500 roles, both on TV oh. and movies. He's still, oh. act- yeah, he's still acting today. He was or still I mean, is, is he still alive? He's still alive. He's still acting. He's got to be like,
2: like 90 years old. You're very close. <laughs> You're
0: very close. Like he was he's- acting.
2: I remember like hearing a thing where he was at like an actor during World War II or something like that, and he would go overseas and do like blackface for uh, the <laughs> troops and, and like you know it, it's so weird. That is impressive.
0: Yeah, and he was the actually was and maybe still is. Can't recall the uh, president of the Asian Actors Guild in Hollywood. Deservingly so. Like He's been around forever. But you may, his more famous roles were Big Trouble Little China, Blade Runner, Chinatown. He's done a lot of recent voiceover work because he is older. He is 87 years old, to answer your question, Nathan. But for me, I'll always remember him as Seinfeld for so <laughs> uh, that's my favorite role of his so
2: cartwright
0: cartwright <laughs> cartwright <laughs> and then we have mark Alamos as gold and let's move on yeah <laughs> he's done a lot of roles too but gold being the most prominent claim to fame there but just wanted to touch quickly on the character of tango for sly this is a very different role for him and i know that we're talking about he's still a rogue cop who doesn't play by the rules and that's true he's still a tough guy but for sly in the 80s this 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 was a stretch. And I think we could talk about this as the movie goes on. He is a very different character than the previous roles he's played. Like he's not as machismo he's more of it a little bit more of an intellect even though it's broad strokes light and humorous caring and i liked what i saw here right away and now let's move on to gabriel cash so kurt russell's character let's talk about his scene and with that uh, asian assassin and that truck chase in the parking lot let's talk about this next nathan how about you start first i think you mean asian guile <laughs> that hair <laughs> yeah he is asian guile uh,
2: <laughs> yeah so the introduction i thought like it was interesting like this whole sequence where he's chasing this assassin i kind of well i mean it, it you know it, it's maybe a little slow by modern comparison but i it, again like i kind of like moving along this story you know we introduce him in you know this bachelor pad and he's got his bachelor cars and the boot gun which is amazing but so out of place it's so weird and then the ensuing chase is really cool but i mean i you know they're i think they're trying to establish it's weird because we've Sort of seen Stallone as a bit of a rogue, and then you have this guy who's dressed more roguish and supposed to be more like the gritty guy. I guess is is they're just you're like you said, Harry. Like there's a lot of broad strokes going on
0: here to try and introduce these characters. And man, that hair!
2: Yeah, the hair is amazing.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the hair is amazing. How about the action scene though, with the truck chase? Any further comments there in that in that parking lot where he captures? Ooh, the guy?
2: I kind of liked it. I mean, it was actually a, I thought it was a fairly well paced you know short action sequence that they didn't really draw out but also who was fucking in a car in the middle of the day
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's 80s i wrote that down too it's it's like you gotta have a boob shot somewhere people were having sex everywhere
2: it doesn't yeah it's they had to get to it right there they couldn't because it's like in the in an apartment building like don't go up to your apartment it's like man we we gotta get we gotta do this right now in the car unbelievable (laughs) i also liked the guy's truck because that also feels like a real '80s thing, like those big trucks. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it was kind of like the truck that Marty McFly retconned what? into his life the end of Back <laughs> in the Back to the Future.
2: Oh yeah, yes,
1: yes, <laughs> that's true. The big lights on it and stuff. Yeah. Again, like I said, it, it, we've already been int- we've been introduced to the road cop in the three piece suit, and now we are introduced to the road cop in a nine dollars shirt, and it's a grittier introduction to the character because we have sort of the closed spaces of the parking garage. I like the stunt, though, where the guy just jumps out of the window lands on the car and off he goes. And then Cash, you know, jumps out after him and totally, you know, totally biffs the landing and good opening for him as well. Yeah. The couple in the backseat of the car there was so 80s. Like Harry, like you said, you got to have a boob shot if you're doing an 80s action movie in the most and ridiculous
0: be, way. Yeah. Like, yeah. They
1: got, completely gratuitous yeah. and ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah for sure. But yeah, I think it's a solid intro to both to both characters and and I guess we'll talk about it as it goes along, you know, watching it with the analyzer's mind on it, like what exactly is the difference between these two characters at this point other than how they dress? But I guess we'll get into that as we go.
0: I like the scene as well. First thing again, I'm going to point out the soundtrack and I'm not sure if you guys can recall, but the music here Cash actually has his own theme and it's a little bit more of a buffoonish type of theme and I was like laughing out loud like to myself it fits Cash very well if you guys ever go back and watch this movie again just pay attention to his particular theme in the scene and it appears up later in the film as well when he's alone I love how he you know chuckles how he gets second billing in the paper while Tango gets the headline Mm. and I love how the yeah Yeah, and I love how the news just makes it how these two guys are the only ones involved in any of these drug busts like wouldn't there be a task force like is it the media's fault that tango and cash gets singled out by perrette Is well, the pair? newspaper
2: game has changed yeah, i mean that's just the way it was i guess yeah
0: <laughs> I mean, this is more exposition. Super
2: cops. Yeah, super super cops, cops. right?
0: This is more of a, you know, trope of the 80s, of course, and this genre. But, you know, I thought it was kind of funny, a little bit of a parody with respect to sensationalism of the media. Question I asked myself here is like the Asian guy assassin. How does he know Cash is wearing a vest so that, you know, you're not supposed to ask yourself these questions, but whatever. Oh my God, I never thought of that. Like, and when you think about it, that's a really good point. Yeah, like how did he shoot him? Even though I think there's a later scene where Cash says, like, these bullets suck. He still would have gotten shot in the chest regardless. That didn't make any sense sense to me whatsoever, but... Yeah, the parking lot chase uh, leaves a little bit to be desired. The only thing I like is the boob shot. It's not because it's boobs, it's just because it's a staple of the... And I just laugh out loud every time I see it. But again, there's another theme in terms of the soundtrack that's present here already. We're seven minutes into the movie, and we already have four themes established in the movie from the soundtrack. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And one last point, I thought this garage and parking lot looked like that same parking lot they filmed, the Seinfeld parking lot episode, so... (laughs) That's just something I thought as well. After this, he he arrests the guy and we cut back to the Beverly Hills Police Department where Tango is working and we get to meet Catherine. Eventually, we come to know that's his sister, but at this point, it's ambiguous. Could be a girlfriend. What did you guys think about that? Do the later scenes pay off better? Is there a payoff because they kept it ambiguous here? Or was it telegraphed? Was it too obvious? What are your thoughts? And what do you think of their relationship and, and Terry Hatcher in this movie? At least in movie. It's
2: scene. kind of weird. I mean, they're, it's a little on the nose that they're trying to make it appear to be like a girlfriend, that whole conversation. I mean, even though kind of going in, like, again, i had forgotten Terry Hatcher was even in this movie. But when I saw the scene, I did remember that, oh, yeah, that's that's the, the sister. And so I guess maybe just on a rewatch, it seems a little too obvious You know, I thought the payoff later on was fine. We get to that scene. I got a lot to say about that scene. But again, like they're also trying to like, uh, like sort of establish that, you know, she's, you know, they say like dancing. But I mean, again, I think they're implying, you know, oh, she's a stripper. Mm. Jeff yourself.
1: Well, you know, that's that's interesting. (coughs) It always seemed very platonic, even from the start. And because I, you know, I mean, that's one of the things I did remember is that she's his sister, I didn't even watch the scene. I mean, you're right they didn't reveal that there, but I just I just made that assumption. So, maybe they played it well, like so well that I I didn't think that there was anything more between them. I don't know if that helps the payoff later on or not because it I just assumed that there was nothing between the between the two. Maybe it's because they seemed like they were clearly not like they're clearly not together and there's no between the two
2: like i said it's very platonic so i never had any thought past that about their relationship that's weird i always because i kind of feel the way the dialogue plays out i mean i know like there's more like with you, what you're saying is true with maybe some of the more of the chemistry but i thought that what they were trying to do with there's so many kind of like little lines of like you know stay here we'll work it out don't be and you know he kind of yeah. laid it a little bit when she said how would i call you And that was like a sign of like, oh, this is a bit of a breakup almost. I mean, it's obviously not, but I don't know. I was a little bit all over the place, like with the scene. I mean... It's a little harder for me to judge it objectively when I kind of know what the relationship is. And so maybe that's why I kind of felt like, oh, it's it's maybe a little bit too... He just seems uh, so too fatherly too. in it, though. That's how it... Well, that's this just the age felt, difference, right? And I mean, there's like well, a 20-year age gap between the two of them. <laughs>
1: well, that's... Yeah, know, that's but, definitely part of it, for sure. Like, that's why like, there was nothing... I see what you mean that they were trying to write dialogue so that you could read it. You know, because you're always going to jump, whether it's the you know ex-girlfriend or the ex-wife. Like, you're always going to read it that way. Yeah. Just how the chemistry was and how they read the lines, Like I, it just never it never occurred to me that, that they are or were or ever a couple in the past. Mm.
0: Okay. Well, that's a good thing in the end result, but I got the interpretation in the scene that they were in a relationship, like a romantic relationship. At least that's how the dialogue is presenting itself, but it's kind of, looks like the end of that relationship because they're kind I mean, of more
2: distant. Yeah that's, yeah, that's what I picked
0: up. That, that's what I picked up as well. Drop a tiny bit of trivia here. So Terry Hatcher, this is... I think her first or second film role. She had done a little bit of TV prior to this, but this was her second film role in Hollywood. And after this, she kind of took off. She got a variety of different roles and got into more TV and eventually became a Bond girl. I I think that's your favorite Bond girl there, Jeff. Oh, man. (laughs) in your favorite movie actually in that movie no no so did i i I I
1: really like terry hatcher you know it's such a waste yeah yeah it's
0: the movie's fault not her let's talk about cash and his we see him in his south central la location must be there so run down. I love, you know, the polar opposites of where these guys work. It's the differences. So I like how the movie is just going complete 180s, nothing similar, even though they're, as you pointed out, they're rogue cops. But I just love the differences that they're being shown here. Now, what do you think of his introduction into his police station and his interrogation of the Asian assassin? This is where I
1: got to start getting into some stuff here. So because we're getting this right after Tango and uh, Terry Hatcher have their little exchange. Correct. And Tango is such a square. He gets a Fucking margin call, and then we go cut to cash, and he's like, Oh, the shirt, my favorite shirt, it cost me nine bucks. Like, <laughs> okay. So they're both rogue cops, and the only difference is that one guy's rich and he's doing this for fucking fun, and the other guy is poor. And other than that, they're the same cop. I thought that was very 80s. That's the difference, is like economic data, and
0: that's it. <laughs> And, and also, yeah. no, go ahead, Eric. No, 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 that's true. I would just say it's very '80s, like '80s Wall Street, class, yeah, in yeah. The classes. But that and really is but, prevalent today, anyways.
1: It's interesting that I mean, you know, we have our hero, a rich guy, and our hero is also a poor guy. Usually nowadays, it's one or the other. It, having both is in the same film is is interesting. But you know, the '80s were great. You know, to think back to the time when you could, you know, torture suspects and violate their rights and he's the good guy like you know what i mean like those are the good guys are the guys who break the rules torture suspects get things done at all costs you know like the rules are for squares man like we're the good guys so we can break the rules and that's a very american sentiment i think that's born out of the 80s this is reagan yeah presidency is propaganda yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Remember, so we're going to get
0: things done. You have to remember, yeah. like the 80s, Cold War is still going on here. Yeah. I mean, it's nearing the end of the Cold War, but really in Hollywood, the Cold War is still prevalent. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's and it still will be
2: for a little while, because I remember movies in the early 90s where Russians would be still the bad guys, yeah. or sometimes Cubans or something like that.
1: It's, it's funny to look at it today. I mean, especially over the past year, and you take a look at all of the stories that that happened over the last year or so about excessive force, you know, racism in the police force, all of those stories. I mean, we've all we've all seen it, we've all heard it. That's what it looks like in real life hmm. when the police are like that, right? Violating rights, using excessive force. You know, you go back to nineteen eighty nine and it's just fun like that's what the good guys did it's just really bizarre to see that type of behavior and look at it through modern lens like that and they almost make a joke of it
2: because then that the other cop walks in and english 101 and he yeah (laughs) (laughs) he makes a little quip and the guy's like oh all right yeah Yeah. (laughs) oh there's goes cash again like also jeff isn't 24 one of your favorite tv shows Oh, man. 24
1: is a love letter. It's a love letter to torture. Yeah, it is not one of my favorites, but
2: I have watched every single episode. (laughs) Jeff is right. I mean, I thought that, well, first of all, leading up to this, again, I sort of appreciate that, you know, we're just moving the story along and we're trying to get, you know, they're doing all these broad strokes to quickly get us up to speed with what these characters are about. And yeah, like thinking back on my memories of the movie, I always thought that, oh, yeah, uh, Stallone played straight laced guy and Kurt Russell was. Was, you know more of the loose cannon and that is not the case they are exactly the same other than the way they dress which by the way halfway through the movie they dump all that but it was a little bit jarring to sort of see like what is actually kind of like a like police brutality treated as kind of like nothing as a bit of a joke also what fucking interrogation room has like urinals in it or well i guess it's like the locker well, room but it has like I a think table was there the he, he was going to the bathroom it was well, by okay, himself I guess so that doing. doesn't
0: make any sense
2: well no there was a cop in there when he, when oh, yeah. he walked in oh, yeah. no, and then right. he's so like kind of right. like okay why don't you just hit the bricks, and then, but there's a table there and lockers. Like I don't know, there's something really gross about the whole setup to me. It's his police that, headquarters. They, set... His police headquarters. They're the poorer district, so uh, I they, guess that's, they that's couldn't afford point. anything.
0: So I, I can let that slide.
2: <laughs> Is that a? And then if you just turn the camera the other way, it's also the gun range at the same
0: time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good point. Actually, yeah. I, I wanted to point out. Like I did love this scene. I love this scene when I was a kid. The English 101. One. Cracked me up every time. It's It still kind of does, but I agree with you guys. The police brutality of the 80s and the good guys, it was okay for them to do it. Now it's more frowned upon or rules to play, but that is definitely a staple of the genre back then. But what I found funny, I'm going to go back to the soundtrack again. If you guys ever listen to this again, minute Cash enters the room to interrogate him and ushers the police guard out, his theme plays, but it now has a racist asian theme to it (laughs) i'm not joking i rewound it and i can't believe i missed that yeah they put an asian theme to it even though it's still i'm almost i'm almost surprised that like kurt
2: russell didn't give him like a ching chong chang to his face (laughs) all the same time
0: i was laughing my ass off i said oh man like these are details that i never even really noticed because i really wasn't paying attention i just was enjoying the ride but now i'm making notes and i'm saying oh man i gotta write this down
2: (laughs) I think I'm going to go buy this movie. I only rented it. I think I might buy it. Just like I'm really glad that you were able to pick up this, Harry, like, with the soundtrack. I, I think this is really fascinating, actually.
0: Yeah, no, it is fascinating. I think it's a, it's a very interesting uh, topic to discuss through the movie. But I did enjoy these scenes for the most part, uh, despite its racial undertones here. Now, the next scene is we cut back to Brett and his cronies and henchmen and his evil lair in headquarters We see Ponytail for the first time. So Jeff, that must be a blast in the past for you. The actor here is...
1: (coughs) My hair, my hair was always nice, man. I, I washed my hair. I didn't have that like greasy, slick, slimy look that this dude oh, was rolling with. Holy yeah. and, that, and that is so 80s. Like that. Like oh, yeah. Ponytail. Yeah. Oh, that's very 80s. Better than the man bun, though. the modern man bun.
0: The actor here who plays the ponytail henchman, his name is Brian James. He was, a, you know, a typical stereotypical 80s bad guy. You may have recognized him. He, he did appear in Blade Runner. He was actually, I think, a good guy in The Fifth Element. He, he had a lot of He's a general, I think. Yeah, Yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. He's a general. He put on the Cockney. There's a little story here is that his role grew. He was originally going to be almost nothing like a background guy and he didn't say anything. Director and producer they saw him and they he has a british accent and they said okay just you don't need to say much and you'll just be in a couple of scenes. And then he started playing around and he put on a cockney accent and they said, "Oh, that's interesting." And his role actually grew much bigger into what you see in the final product here in the movie. So I thought that oh, was wow. kind of interesting. He was originally just going to be a background guy. But let's go back to Perret. I love the first thing that is on his mind is he brings out his mice. And he says, "Now you understand. You must not kill them." And then Lopez, who's we're now going to refer to Lopez for the rest of the movie as Gul Dukat, he responds, "No, I don't understand." And this is going to be a running gag through the whole movie because they want to kill him. Quan and Lopez want to kill Tango and Cash, but Perrette just says, nope, nope, we're going to play a game. And these mice are going to show you how it's done. And he says, quick and easy. That's how you make a cake, but that's not how you run my business.
1: (laughs) I love these ridiculous lines that you say in there. Only Jack Palance with that voice could give any credibility to these ridiculous lines from this guy because i love that quick and easy line that was fantastic
0: yeah that's like how you bake a cake how you clean a toilet bowl but that's not how you run a multi-million dollar business it's so funny i love it what did you guys think of these scenes you could talk about his lair a little bit more on Juan and lopez or goldicott and jack panels anything else here with his master plan and the mice oh i think one of the things i love and this
2: is such an 80s thing when you get like the bad guy's office and it looks like the office of a strip club. I love that. It's so <laughs> ridiculous. But also one of the weird things like with like, because it didn't really, I don't know, like there was something weird about the metaphor. He's like, oh, OK, we're going to put them in a maze or jail. It, 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 he doesn't say that, but he puts the, the mice in a maze, but he doesn't put them necessarily in a maze and they are going to die. But he never kills his mice because they are his pets. It's kind of so like there's some weird things I thought that was kind of going on. But I mean, like he really delivered it well yeah and you know just and like just the like the two flunkies hanging around having drinks like this scene is oh it's just oozing 80s this whole thing it's oozing 80s it's a stereotype for the genre how about you jeff i was just confused
1: with the mice like yeah what a (laughs) did they forget the second half of the metaphor i'm with ducat here it's like no i i don't understand either i don't get it he has mice and he puts them in a maze that he has conveniently built into the bar
0: yeah he actually built it into the bar
1: yeah
2: (laughs) i want that bar
1: <laughs> like I was like, is there a snake in there? Is there some cheese? Is there like what's no? He just just puts him in there and that's it. Okay, I mean, I was watching this with my girlfriend and she's like kind of cowering. She's like, oh, what's he going to do with the mice? I'm like, he's not didn't do anything with the mice. He put him in the fucking thing. And that's it. <laughs> he didn't do anything. And that's about him. as much thought as he put into the plan to frame Tango and Cash. Uh, now that I think of it, it's <laughs> well, like this they is were the going to put part. him in the maze. That's the best part of that's... this movie.
0: <laughs> well, actually, there's a subtle little joke. I don't know if they did it on purpose or not, and I think it's a little brilliant. If you watch this scene again as he's explaining to Ducat and Juan he says Tango and Cash have screwed him over about greater than 60 million dollars in drugs guns then he picks up the mice pauses and says slightly other and also slightly uh, various other enterprises (laughs) I gotta chuckle mice I I don't know mouse farms I got a chuckle out of that. Like I was laughing pretty. I, I never picked up on that before, and I was laughing because like various other enterprises he's like, holding the mice. That was great. It's great timing. I Even mean, if probably unintentional, but that was just
2: brilliant. I wonder if there he there was something else, and he just kind of forgot the line, but he just delivered the flub so well that like all right, keep it in because it kind of worked. it Wouldn't surprise me. Also, another thing that I kind of like, like it's so 80s, the fact that the bad guy's a drug dealer, like just a straight up drug dealer, and but also the idea of running guns. I I always find kind of weird when I see that because where are they running the guns to? You know, the U.S. does not seem like a place where you know it's hard to get a gun. I'm always confused about the business model of gun running. I see like shipping guns out of the states, but bringing them in seems weird. Do you guys ever like find that that's weird when that's like what the bad guy is doing? I always just assume that it's an international gun running thing because yeah, you're right. Like if you, but he's bringing them in. Yeah, and, th- and yeah. then like later we see those weird like guns that like almost belong in Starship Troopers there at the end. No, those were <laughs> yeah. the uh,
0: those were the Phase Watt plasma rifles that oh, yeah, was yeah. looking I mean, for. I mean, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: Phase. <laughs> it's a
1: Phase plasma. Phase rifle uh, plasma Watt plasma rifle. Range.
0: Yeah, with a forty watt range. <laughs> forty watt range.
2: <laughs> Anyways, I always notice that when that's, like, what the bad guy is doing is, like, gun running. It's in the U.S. Weird.
0: Yeah, But I think with drugs comes guns and his various other enterprises. Let's move on to the tailing scene. So now you see Tango getting a tip from his captain saying they picked up a phone tap and there's another drug something runner happening and go tail him and see what you can find out. You get the tailing scene where Tango and Cash are tailing Mr. Ponytail here. They find the dead guy. They get caught by the police. So they're set up. What are your thoughts here on the whole setup, the scene, them meeting the dead guy, the police coming in, all of this stuff?
2: So at about what minute does this happen in the movie? I mean, we're maybe, what, 15 you might minutes be 20,
0: in, You might be 20 minutes might be 20 in, minutes.
2: Yeah. I really like the pacing of this movie. And we're just, we're just moving forward, moving forward. I did like their first kind of their exchange because it, it's just kind of turns into, you know, this dick measuring contest. And then later they have like almost a literal dick measuring contest. But here I kind of like that interaction with that macho man. Like you got to one up the other guy each and every time. And Kurt Russell, I feel like really like playing up like uh, being a bit of a, a joker sort of type, even though it doesn't really mean anything against Stallone. Who's, you know, he's got his own quips and stuff like that. I love that laser sight on that gun. Is like as big as the gun itself. Um, yeah, that was awesome. But I do find this actually. <laughs> I mean, it is so huge. You know, actually thinking on it, I do kind of like this scene and this setup because it's maybe not terribly unique, but I think the execution of it, of what Jack Pounce's character was trying to do, and set them up this way, I thought I was like, okay, this is actually pretty clever. This is a, a good piece of storytelling.
1: I just love they had they had instant chemistry as soon as they're on screen together. They're yes. It's like they're born to be buddy cops, you know? I thought that's what stood out the most to me. The dialogue is cheesy as it is through the whole movie, and and they both deliver those lines with enough charisma to sell it. Like you said, they had the one-opsmanship. I thought, ah, it was great. I mean, you know, right there, I can't wait to see them together for the rest of the movie. And yeah, I think the setup was actually somewhat clever. That worked. It played well. Like You kind of follow them down like they don't know what's going on, and you kind of follow them along through, like, because we don't know what's going to be happening here we're kind of with them as they're getting framed we don't know exactly what's going to go so yeah good piece of storytelling there as well and we get it's a kind of a good way to pivot to the next two-thirds of the movie
0: completely agree i love this whole scene the minute they meet this movie just goes to another level because of their chemistry with each other they are trying to one-up each other but the lines the dialogue is well you could say cheesy but i also think for the time and it still stands today i think it's snappy and Cheesy witty. You're not talking about, you know, poop jokes. This is pretty yeah. witty, right? Like the second best cop in LA, oh I heard the same thing about you. Mm-hmm. Oh, about this gun. Oh, what about that gun? And I love this whole thing. Like I even love when they get caught. You know, I love Sly how he says, What did you do? <laughs> He's like, he wasn't with him the whole time, so he he still has his doubts. I love that. And then he goes to the police as they're all there. He goes, I didn't come with this man, and with your permission, I'm leaving this man. Ciao. And I love all that stuff. And then I like how Sly's still true to his character here, because he actually asks for a receipt for his gun. Yeah, that was funny. (laughs) That was pretty funny, and then... Cash goes, no, no, I want one too. <laughs> it's like, this is all really good stuff. And I actually liked the setting where they filmed this. It was kind of appropriate. And I and I agree with you, Jeff and, and Nathan. I think the setup is actually pretty good for an 80s movie and a very simplistic movie. This actually works because yeah, they actually take time to show that the bad guys are recording their conversation. You see him, uh, Rakeen, pass it to another guy who's going to help set him up. And I loved all of these scenes. And Kurt Russell's charm immediately is just oozing off the screen like it's osmosis like it's just coming out in spades and Sly's doing a great job too but in this this scene here Kurt Russell's just uh, just amazing I just love the smile he always has on his face because he's just playing it for fun and it's just great. They get arrested, and then now we get move into the court proceedings and sentencing, and yay exposition by newspaper, which is another trope of the genre. What did you think of all of the court proceedings, like the police analyzing the data, them talking about copping a plea, and they have that alone time in that in that boardroom before they go to trial, and then their admission of guilt, and then they're also talking to themselves, and the puns start coming out now a lot when they start seeing all those other people testifying so what did you think of all of these scenes
1: yeah another one of the details that i'd forgotten about it i actually thought that the courtroom dramatics was very strong i mean we see the whatever the audio tape expert giving the testimony that yeah definitely it's legit Uh, i got no reason to think that it's not yeah they say
0: they say he says i'm I, i tested using an oscilloscope yeah so <laughs>
1: yeah, sounds, 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 fancy. I must sounds be right. fancy. I thought it was interesting that it felt pretty genuine and you know, like they're quipping behind the scenes, but they both like they, they, they cop a plea and like, that's, that actually felt very authentic to me because that's usually what happens in like over 90% of court cases is they cop a plea. Even if you're falsely accused, that's what you do so that you don't. You know, so you get reduced jail time. So that's exactly what they did, even though they know they're innocent. You know, they did what they thought they had to do. And uh, you know, Kurt Russell's outburst in the in the courtroom there he is very endearing. And and yeah, he's just he's got the shit eating grin on his face twenty six hours a day, which is which is fucking fantastic.
0: I just and, love how Sly gives this eloquent speech. He's all serious and genuine, sure. and genuine. And then he sits down, and then the judge says, "Okay, Mr. Cash, you want to say anything?" And he looks at Sly, <laughs> then smiles with the shit eating grin. But the best part is, is as he stands up, Sly goes, no, no, no. (laughs) He knows he's going to botch it. That's just like the best part. And then. I also love how the police behind them, they all cheer after he says, this whole thing fucking sucks. It's just such a great moment. I love that moment.
1: Yeah, excellent moment. So yeah, very well
2: put together, I think, overall.
0: Yeah, Nathan, how about yourself?
2: That one sort of last moment there in the court scene that was like really one of the only times where they try to differentiate the characters a little bit more was through Stallone's speech and then the outburst from Russell there. I don't know. I'm a little lukewarm on these scenes. They're fine. I'm, I'm glad, though, that it just moved quick. And then we we're past it very, you know, very quickly because I didn't really need to see. Because, you know, I mean, you need to get him into prison. So I guess you have to sort of show a bit of the, the court. You know, later on, there was a thing about their lawyers. So I could never really just dis- like thinking back on it. I could never really decide if the lawyers were intentionally doing a shitty job defending them because you never see their, uh, their lawyer do anything. Uh, Not really. I had to wonder if he was also kind of in on the conspiracy a little bit, but maybe I'm giving the movie too much credit. But I'm I'm just kind of glad that they got past it very, very quickly.
0: Yeah, I mean, these are quick scenes. I agree with you, Jeff. The speech with Sly, Artango, and then uh, Cash's outburst is the highlight of these scenes. I did like their scenes in the uh, boardroom where they were talking to each other as well. The chemistry is is there and I love their banter. The puns start coming out as the people are testifying here. You know, the job of the hut, the chainsaw, the beer, and the rip is hung out with the tow truck and all that stuff, you know. I thought that was a little much. And that's something that's going to continue through the rest of the movie, especially in the last act. they
2: do... cops, man. They torture people. That's yeah. their thing. <laughs> that's
0: their thing, yeah. <laughs> I mean, some of it's funny, Just but some of, some of it gets trying. But I want to ask you guys a question. When the Asian guy is on the – the Asian assassin, he's on the, on the stand and he's speaking in Chinese and he has an interpreter. Cash gets upset and says, this square crow can talk. Did yeah. I get did I get that right? What the fuck does that mean? What's a square crow? I don't know. I don't it, remember the line. It was probably
2: lie. the only way that they could, like, it's not really like a racial slur, but it almost sounds like it could be one, but they didn't actually want to. The only racial slur I think I heard in the movie is that Delone's captain calls him a wop early on in the movie. And so I think that this was, I noticed it too, and I thought it was odd. I sort of thought, okay, this is just a way to throw some sort of not-quite-racial slur at the character. Because <laughs> it means nothing. I mean, it's, it's such a weird line. It is.
0: So now they're guilty, so they get sent to prison. Let's talk about their time in prison, not their escape. Let's talk about when they first realize they are in a maximum security prison, a prison instead of a minimum security one. Something happened, they realize they're getting screwed. And all their time there, including that boiler room or laundry room fight, and they're getting tortured at the end. Let's not talk about the escape, we can save that for after. So let's talk about these scenes here. Nathan, how about you start first?
2: Well, I like how they show up and, you know, at first I'm like, is there there a prison riot already in progress? And and the guards (laughs) are so... Shit's on fire and stuff already. Shit's on fire and the guards are so blase about it. It's kind of weird that they're sort of playing it up for jokes. But, you know, going into a max security prison and you're a cop, it's kind of a, a scary thing. The other thing, and this happens kind of before they get into the general population, but when they're trying to, like, figure out who set them up, it's kinda of strange that they're all like now they're kind of having that conversation now that they've been convicted and they're having like this, you know, weird shower scene together. And that's another thing from the eighties. First, you got butts out in full force <laughs> from from the male stars, and simultaneously a bit of like weird, like gay panic also going on, which is also very <laughs> sort of thing as well. And could it be say the finest performance by Clint Howard? <laughs> Oh man, Clint Howard. Yeah, I
1: Clint
2: Howard. Corbinite maneuver. I mean, Corbin I, I, mean, ah! I, like, I kill my best friend. And he like points, and the newspaper budget for this movie is out of control because like the wall is covered in newspapers. <laughs> We've already seen 20 newspapers. Well,
0: crazy people. And are the newspaper
2: article he points to it says man kills best friend. <laughs> was, I thought it was so funny. It's weird, like again, like it's odd that like this should be almost like a weird panic thing in any other movie, but they are they are still playing it for jokes. I, I kind of love that actually. They could have gone that the other way of like oh we're like really up shit creek here and they kind of like you know still like cracking wise i kind of liked that and up to and sorry harry up to the fight include the fight okay so the fight this is actually one of the few things that i did remember all these years later especially stallone's when they sort of start off the fight and he's got that great jump kick almost like a crane kick to the one guy maybe it doesn't really stand the test of time But, you know, I thought that, okay, it's moving along and they got a couple of moves in there. And I had a really weird Batman vibe when Jack Pounce came out because it kind of looks like Axis Chemicals a little bit.
0: It does, it was one of the yeah. Of. That's, a good, that's yeah. a good
2: point. It's kind of unfortunate with some of these movies that like the fighting and the action doesn't really hold up. But one of the things that really struck me was that I'd like to go and maybe watch like a few more movies around this era because I kind of am getting the feeling that this was also the start where action stars started incorporating more what you would consider martial arts fighting, right? Because Stallone's got a couple of open hand strikes. He does that later as well. You know, he's got the kicks. Kurt Russell, not so much. But I, I noticed like that fight style from Stallone And I really thought, wow, like I never really thought of Stallone as like, and he never was a martial
0: arts guy. it's this role only. And that's something that's unique to this character, even on the, you know, superficial level of just style of fighting. And I would think. Yeah. And I thought
2: it was interesting, actually, because it's like, wow, like I didn't really, even though I remembered the kick, it's weird because I swear it must be in like one of the trailers or something like that. But I felt like that was, that was pretty dramatic after they punched ponytail there. And then that's when he lets loose. With I really noticed that that really stood out to me. His fight style.
1: I think that it was interesting for them to make the point that Cash just it was fine. They were going to kill him. He just didn't want to get killed by an immigrant. And
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that line probably one of my favorite lines in the movie pull the motherfucker for all i care just don't let him do it american that whole, jerk yeah, that whole not Hulk a limey jerk hilarious yeah i love it that's so funny it's great
1: i thought the fight was well choreographed and the fact that they did differentiate their fighting styles i thought was a nice detail to you know tango's still the more refined guy he's doing the martial arts like he's a trained fighter he's doing the moves and and cash is more of the barroom brawler style so that i mean that's a neat detail to put into a movie like this because it doesn't need that detail so you know a little bit extra effort is good i mean i want to talk about the shower scene i just don't no, know no how point. to start i mean it was funny and i loved kurt russell's line I was like oh, you don't know shit
0: i love the way he delivers it oh it's great yeah
1: so good it's just so weird that like okay they're in the shower naked showering together you know make they make the drop the soap joke sort of but wait Um, hold on
2: what is the joke because the joke is that the guy bending over is the one who's going to get violated yeah he's he's like don't flatter yourself
0: he's He's going down in front of sly to get the soap right right oh so the implication that he's going to go down and like give him a blowjob right there yes but <laughs> it's so bizarre. <laughs> That's why he says don't flatter yourself, Pee-Wee. Oh. The immediate comeback is Pee Wee's hilarious as well on a simpler level. I love the comeback from Sly. It's like, well, I don't know you that well. <laughs> this is probably my favorite part of the movie is the entire prison sequence, including the fight. I just want to first mention, like, how ridiculous it is for them, for Perrette to successfully intercept their transfer from the courthouse or wherever they were, police headquarters, to a minimum security prison, arranging the entire maximum security prison facility so they can actually slip by everybody and pay everybody off so they can stay there, arrange how they can hire or pay off all of these thugs to beat them up or kill them, and the electrocution and all of this stuff, yet... He doesn't put that effort into managing his drug shipments. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just thought I'd point that out.
2: <laughs> well, maybe it's more his area of expertise.
1: <laughs>
0: yes. <laughs> He's been practicing with those mice all this time, so he knows how to do yeah, that Yeah, there's that fascination with mice. I mean, I'm not sure what's going on here. But I love the immediate reaction here from Cash when the gates open. He goes, they're all sweating and everything like that. He goes, um, I don't think there's a golf course here. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> And then you have the shower scene. I think it's really snappy dialogue here. All of this humor, even though it's juvenile, it works. It just really works. And it's because they work playing off each other. And then I love how at the end, Tango says, no, they're not going to put us in general population. And then you get that litter and fire scene, how they're in general population. And let's just talk about, this is one of my favorite sequences in the movie with respect to all of these lines. From all the prison inmates. Like the black guy says, I'm going to put brown sugar in your ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get Conan the Barbarian. This actor with a massive jaw. There's a little piece of trivia. His name is Robert Zadar. And he was in a lot of movie roles, B-movie roles. I mean, you probably didn't see him in many major movie roles. But he was the star of a trilogy where he was the hero. It was called Maniac Cop. <laughs> where I got <laughs> <laughs> <What? laughs> Where? He was killed by bad guys, comes back from the dead, and instills his jawline justice. So,
2: Wait, is that literally the tagline? Jawline justice? No,
0: no, I made that up. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's, That's pretty good, no you should sell that. I should. But speaking of his jaw... He had a medical condition called, and I may be pronouncing this wrong, shrewbrism, which is an enlarged jawline. There's fluid in the jaw there. This guy, actually, he may be my favorite side character in the entire movie because he just enjoys being bad in every single scene he is in. He's enjoying them being tortured. He's enjoying laughing. I love the intro scene here. If you recall, he was the guy who fell out of the truck in the opening sequence as well. That's why he has a beef with Tango. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah, cuz he goes, uh, you know, fuck you and he goes, oh, you know, you like jewelry? That's that one one of the truck driver. Right. So, he goes, uh, bring them to me, bring them to me and then you get oh, the of that, that was incredible. That was such incredible. a great line. And the way he's looking behind the bars, it's so funny. He's just so intense and his eyes are bulging out of its sockets so much. I just love it. He goes, yes. I remember you from Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> An obvious nudge at Arnie there, and I just loved it. If you need me, me and my ass will be in the neighborhood. I'd love I, that scene. Wow. I wish he was
2: in the movie more, to uh, be honest. Like yeah. I thought he was great.
0: He was great. And then but the best part is as they're walking away, the guy goes, You fucking pig, it's over for you <laughs> <laughs> And then Cash goes, I see you're gonna be very popular here. <laughs> These scenes are just great. Then you got the cellmates. You talked about Clint Howard and then the big black guy. And I love Cash's reaction. That is yours. so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so funny. I love all of these scenes. And then we get the laundry room fight, which I love. I love the buildup. I love the tension. I love how Rakeen, ponytail guy, he's going. He's going to threaten to cut their throats. And then you get the bull, the motherfucker for all I care. And the, you know, immigrant jerk off and all that. stuff. So I love all of these scenes. And then Bar and don't panic. I'm panicking. I love all of these scenes. In that it's so good. And then you get Conan coming in and Sly goes, oh shit, it's Conan. <laughs> and you broke that jaw? And then it's actually a good fight, and I agree with you guys. There's a difference in their fighting styles, and the fight is long enough before it gets too long, because they played it kind of semi-realistic. It's the fact that there's just too many of them, and they did get overwhelmed. But I love the ending part of that, is that as they're getting overwhelmed, you still hear them saying, Don't panic! They'll just keep playing <laughs> that joke. It's so great. And then they get the electrocution scene, and again, I just love how this Conan the Barbarian guy, he's just enjoying every single minute of it. He's the biggest cheerleader. Yeah! fried tango i love it it's so great guy's just enjoying every single minute of screen time he's in so then the cops eventually do come in i don't know how the hell they didn't manage to come in before and this matt guy appears to know cash and then he says suggest to them to escape and then they get the prison escape sequence here so let's talk about the entire setup for the prison escape, and them escaping, and Sly fighting Conan the Barbarian again, and all of these things. Yeah, Talk about everything. The, the entire prison escape sequence.
1: For the most part, I think it's a very strong piece of the movie. I mean, the whole prison thing, from start to finish, is definitely the strongest part of the movie. And the escape, I think, is also very strong. But I was a little bit confused at the logistics. So Cash goes through the like the ventilation fan there. In order to meet his friend, who's now dead on the other side, so it's like it's it's a trap, right? They're gonna ambush him. So he escapes back out of the ventilation system, and then I must have missed something because then they still make it. Was there always a plan to make it to the roof?
2: There was a mention of two two ways to go. Uh, (laughs) when his friend is showing him the map, and then Stallone was like, "Why don't we go?" Oh, this way looks easy. Like, no, no, that's a long so that way around. You don't want it. Okay, yeah. all right, all right. That's cleared up. that's fine.
1: Okay, so then it's great. Yeah, I don't have I any problem. It was uh <laughs> lots of tension. Thought this worked really, really well. I mean it's a little maybe overly dramatic with the heavy rainfall and everything, but I thought it was well shot with them, you know, using the belts to slide down the, the power line there. I thought that worked really well. And it sort of made sense, maybe we're kind of jumping ahead, that, you know, as soon as they Get out as soon as they land. It's like, hey, we're right, we're going our separate ways. Like, we're going to split up. That is sort of a note of authenticity to me. It's not like, well, now we're sticking together to bring down the bad guys. It's like, all right, we're getting the fuck out of here.
2: See ya. Yeah.
1: Uh, That was great. Great, great tension. Very well, very well filmed. I thought it was really good.
2: Yeah, I agree. I thought it was some nice tension to it. I did kind of laugh when Kurt Russell, like, after Stallone rescues him, and he's like, you know, he's talking about how he found his friends, like, they cut his what do you say it kind of threw it ear to ear know what i mean it's like yeah that's not a metaphor that's literally what you do <laughs> yeah. but uh, the other thing i kind of liked was sort of the final fight between conan the barbarian and rambo there i thought that was actually like a, a pretty neat fight because stallone is losing the whole time and it's like you look at he's got like the like uh, i don't know where the claw and chain came from exactly but i was like oh i kind of like this and again like that oh, yeah. ah, it was so great where i thought it was like a really grappling hook yeah (laughs) it was so weird this was actually one of the other things i kind of remembered was the last part of the escape of going shimmying through like just random electrical i don't know what those are but and then then escaping on the with the belts on the cable and stuff like that i thought like really cool i think in the 80s like i mean probably when i saw this the first time in the 90s like oh this is great i think it still works like as a piece of action i mean this this stands up today i think
0: I would definitely agree with you guys. This is a tense and exciting, fun sequence, which is still serious, but lighthearted in a way. I love the settings and the lighting. I know it's heavy with rain and thunder and, and lightning, which is a definite trope. But I did enjoy the settings they had here. I like how Tango saves cash. It's a nice little little moment. The showdown with Conan the Barbarian was a little disappointing for me, but it was a good death because I love how, in the midst of his, him dying and being electrocuted, he's still able to manage to scream out Tango. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's kind of funny. I didn't notice this again until this time because I'm paying even more attention. Is that Conan, as he has him with the grappling hook, is he's obsessed with animal fetish as well? Like he's calling Tango a dog, calls him doggy. Oh, that's right, doggy, puppy, scream. All of these things, I was thinking, what is going on with the writer? What's what's happening here? Like <laughs> something is happening. Mice, dogs, you know, you love mice, you hate dogs. What's going on? I'm not sure. And when they jump and do the zip lining, I thought that was fantastic. But What's with the bicycle kicks while guys zipline all the way down? You think that would actually? Did you notice both stuntmen were were doing the bicycle kicks? Like, is that just for flair for the film, or he's just having having fun? (laughs) (laughs) You would think. You wouldn't be doing that. This is not zip lighting in Mexico. This is, you know, you're going, you want to make as least amount of visual distraction as possible.
2: And you I actually kind of wonder if the guy's completely still, like if he's just sort of like in an L sit and his legs are up or something like that. I kind of wonder if people would think, "Ooh, you know what? People might, when they watch this, they might just think we just strapped a mannequin on there and zipped it down. So it's like, oh, maybe if you just like move around a little bit, just to show that it's like a real stunt. Maybe that's I don't know. Probably, that's no, that's uh, you're maybe probably a right. theory.
0: You're probably right. That's probably what it is. Yeah, but I enjoyed these scenes a lot, even though you know the electrocution, power lines, and the falling great distances from the power line all the way to the ground is a bit a onto bit, your back. Yeah, A bit of a stretch. <laughs> All he got was like a little bit of a slip disc and that's it. And Tango suffered nothing except holding his stomach for a second. So, but again, it's a movie to begin with and it's the genre. So you're not really supposed to think too much about it. So it's fine. But now we cut to what may be my favorite scene in the movie Because we cut to Perrette. He's a little disheartened. He gets a, <laughs> he gets a phone call from both Quan and Lopez at the same time. And he oh, says, yeah. oh yeah, put him on. And then Quan says, you know, sir, we really have to do something. We need to think. And then he cuts him off and he says, there you go again. Always thinking. That will be your downfall. <laughs> uh, and he says it with such conviction. I love it. It's great. His Pr-
2: delivery on that is so amazing.
0: Yeah. He's a loon. This guy's awesome. brett has got to be one of the best. He's like one of those hidden villain gems that nobody talks about. Like This guy should be talked about <laughs> a lot more. I love Brett. He's great. He's turning into be one of my favorite movie villains of all time. I wanted to
1: know who was working the camera on that video
2: call. Like, yes, uh, I was just, about
1: just the other the end. Same thing.
2: Like, zooming in. You know, with the lighting and everything. I mean, doing the camera moves like you, he goes. Yeah, it goes into one guy's face, comes back out, goes yeah. into yeah. the cot. No, just insane. but <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, I mean, Perret should be the last boss in Mike Tyson's Punch Out, not Mike Tyson. That's how <laughs> spectacular a villain this guy is. I mean, it's totally absurd. Um, <laughs> yeah, I love this scene here. Like, are they try to be futuristic. Is this a technology they actually were flirting with the video call on the bank of crt monitors here i mean <laughs> it's, it's insane again like the 80s the 80s uh villain layer i mean yeah it's so ludicrous
2: but it's a great fantastic.
0: Set, yeah ludicrous yeah, great it's set. a great
2: set i love this scene i mean and jack palance like his delivery in the hands of any other actor it probably would have fallen a little bit flat his delivery is so great and then i kind of like like after that after the call is done he brings up the the mice and he's kind of playing with them again i forget what he says but it's just, it's it's so like it's so bizarre
0: it's so weird it's so great yeah it's a short scene but it stands out for me as one of the highlights of the film for sure i just love that line so now we're gonna start to get into more of the last act of the movie i wouldn't say third act but close to the third act this sequence here might be some of the more weaker scenes of the movie We have Cash going to Owen, so now you get this Q-bond relationship, but how should I put Owen? He's a little special I'm not sure I don't know what you guys thought of these scenes like why did they put this here and the need for it as well and then they start going around and proving their innocence so Sloan sees the FBI guy Cash sees the sound guy named Skinner and then you get the dance club where after tanning the tapes to prove the forgery the audio forgery cash goes to Cleopatra's which is the dance club that Tango told him to go if he's in hot water there he meets Terry Hatcher's uh, Catherine and you get all this dance stuff and and everything like that. So let's talk about all of these scenes as a whole.
1: Is the LAPD that kind of an operation where they have a Q division? Yeah, with basically, you know, Q's special ed younger brother running the (laughs) joints. I mean, come on. That dog? Our (laughs) tax
2: dollars going to these devices. Oh,
1: man. I mean, I think this this is one of those scenes that might be betraying some of the production and script difficulties that this film had that you described, Harry, because this doesn't fit
0: no it doesn't this feels really out of place compared to yeah, the rest of the movie time. i don't know why they put this stuff in here and i think it's only to give them that accessibility to the rv from hell so they can have that truck chase and that's probably it and even that and we'll
1: get to that even that is sort of incongruent with the rest of the film right so the whole the whole third act is feeling uh just out of step with what we've seen so far. I mean, everything so far has been ridiculous, but it's been ridiculous within, you know, its own band. And this is just going outside. It's just going out of bounds with this Q stuff.
0: This could be John Peters influence. Who knows if this is his, as I mentioned, wouldn't surprise me.
1: Yeah. Well, John Peters is kind of legendary for being batshit <clears throat> insane and wanting just the weirdest shit thrown into the third acts of his movies. So that would certainly be a logical explanation. You know, Cleopatra's is an interesting club. I mean, I don't know much about the club scene of the '80s in Los Angeles. There, it's not really a strip club. It's not. I don't really know what's going on here. You
0: got even a guy on a motorcycle on the stage. I wanted to see yeah. his act.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on, Terry. Get the hell off of Terry Hatcher. I want to see this guy on the motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> to an extent, motorcycle we don't, we don't know.
0: We don't know what he's doing with that motorcycle. So oh, well, let's true. not get carried. Well, away.
1: a lot more death-defying than the glitter and prim tear of Terry Hatcher. But you know, it's okay. Are we stopping here? Are we getting into the Kurt Russell and heels and and no, no, drag?
0: You, you can. You can go up to the drag scenes. yes.
1: Yeah, so I mean I actually I had a good laugh seeing him in there because he's just hemming it up and having a great time doing it. So, you know, that was good. I don't know if there's any deeper social commentary to be had there where they're both No, these are um, just cheap laughs. They are cheap laughs, but I like how she, you know, like Terry Hatcher's kind of playing the butch and then Kurt Russell's her, you know, her girlfriend in drag like it i don't know it's entertaining it's funny
0: the best part of that scene is that the cop still doesn't care he he asks is there any chance of a (laughs) three-way yeah (laughs) hey man you never know until you try yeah how about you nathan
2: yeah you know a lot of these scenes again were not it's funny these were not things i remembered and so when he goes into when we turn to like a weird james Bond movie here with this Q character or it's Owen right is the character's name I was like what the fuck is going on here like I was so I was so confused all of a sudden like what is this it is out of place and Jeff I think you're right like this must be the opposing forces of like oh we want this to be a less serious more of a comedy sort of thing but the dog i mean it's uh, it's so bizarre because then it also links back to the the boot gun right because that's he he says that's who he who had built the boot gun for him right so the other thing i love and this is such again like such an 80s thing the idea of modern contemporary dance as a profession for people (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know And as far as the the motorcycle act, I don't know. Like he's got like like a fifties like he rolled out of Greece, then he came out of like a Stargate. So I don't know if he's doing like a bit of a mashup there or something like that. Terry Hatcher's dance—it
0: was so incoherent. it's so weird. It, it, it was, is. She's all over the
2: place. Yeah, and you can tell. I can so tell when it's like the double versus her. She gets the drumsticks with this, dr- and then the drum appears out of nowhere. But then she's not drumming in tune to anything and i and i swear the sound mix is a little bit off where like she's just kind of drumming in the air and then there's these sounds you that are 100 kind of
0: correct happening yeah. out of sync she is out of it sync was, and it's and has nothing to do with the music or the act or anything she's just doing it randomly it is so bizarre it is so weird and the idea
2: of like she's just oh, like a dancer she's not a stripper but a dancer it's so weird i don't know what that club is because it's also a fully mixed clientele as well i mean it, it's so strange but the drag scene is great i did actually when i was like oh yeah now i, I do kind of remember that i kind of disappointed they didn't maybe have a little bit more fun with it because i feel like kurt russell's the kind of actor like who would do a whole movie in drag if you know if you let him <laughs> maybe <laughs> you know but those cops are fucking idiots because there's no way that like he doesn't have any sleeves he, and he is fucking built in that scene like
0: there's no, <laughs> there's no way <laughs> He calls them, oh, so you're an aerobic instructor. That's how they got out of it.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's and funny. that's, oh, is that what that line was? Yeah. Because he Cause, says,
0: cause he, the that, cop that, said that, that. That, like, that horny cop what, what sizes that? sizes cash up and drag. Obviously, he oh, thinks man. it's a woman. It says, oh, so an aerobic instructor, huh? And oh, okay, okay. Now I
2: get it. Because I was like, well, I missed something here. But I, the one, the other thing that made me laugh was when they both, when Kurt Russell turned. Well, I guess they both turned and flicked their cigarettes at the yeah, cop in scene. tandem. I really laughed at that. And then you know the classic. I mean, you've seen it a million times now where he kind of pulls the sunglasses down and flips him the burr, putting it back up is like, I mean, I really laughed at this. I mean, it's, it's kind of like, I feel sort of bad doing it because you're, they're, they're sort of making, you know, a bit of a joke at, you know, cross dressing and, you know, and lesbians and stuff like that. It's like, ah, is this, you couldn't do that scene now. I don't think. Yeah. You know, so yeah. again, this is very days. still
0: very 80s. Depends yeah. on the genre. I think Tyler Perry pretty much does this in every single fucking. Well, that's, that's a whole other
2: thing, yeah. Where like the Medea movies you're talking about? I,
0: I have no idea what they are. I've just seen poster of him dressing as a woman. That's it. That's all I. Need. Yeah. I wouldn't go into yeah, those yeah. movies. But regardless, yeah, I agree with you guys. Bond scenes and Owen, they really put me off. They're really bizarre. They don't really belong. What do you guys think of the proving innocent scenes? You guys didn't mention Stallone visiting the Tango visiting the FBI no. guy or. Cash there's, there's so much the, to talk about here. yeah or a cash visiting the sound guy because I love when you know you got some bad puns here you get you know you can laugh at it but they're also bad so like Tango goes you're looking terribly anemic maybe you need some more iron in your diet <laughs> as he uh-huh. you know cocks his gun and at him and stuff like that And but I do like the line that comes after that's a bad line but then the FBI goes oh it doesn't matter they want to kill me my my life ain't worth shit and then the Tango goes well that's true <laughs> so I love that and then you get the Skinner guy cash is just you know blowing up his lab and all this stuff what do you think of these scenes the stallone scene i don't know i mean the line that
2: he delivers with the uh, more iron you know, i was like oh my god this is terrible it was pretty groan worthy
0: yeah that's, a, that's one of the, me, probably was, the
2: worst uh, pun in the movie yeah and i mean it's not a good line but and he didn't deliver it well I don't think, I mean, he did the best he could with, you know, with what he got. I don't know, a bit of a throwaway scene. I did kind of like the, the scene with the sound guy. I also kind of, another thing I laughed at when the character's name is Skinner, I think, right? And he mm. he's on the street. You see him walking on the street. He walks into his place and the sign literally just says Sound Lab on the <laughs> outside. <laughs> So I'm like, guys, come on, you could, and, but it's, there's like some weird, like styled letters behind it, but then just like a white border sound like you guys got to come up with something. And I mean, it's fine. You know, I mean, Kurt Russell, I mean, he's, of course, he's gonna, you know, deliver his lines really well and stuff like that. But I thought it was kind of odd that they sort of blow across these scenes very, very quickly usually that's in a type of movie like this is what you would do is to redeem themselves. Much of the movie is going to be that. And really, we only get essentially these two scenes to try and gather evidence. I mean, a little bit in the scene kind of following at, at the house, I guess, but not really. So I, I thought it was kind of odd that they condensed this down. I kind of wonder, I really wonder if there had been more stuff that was shot with the original director who was like trying to make like you know a bit more of a serious movie, and and I wonder if some of that stuff went to the wayside. I kind of feel like the overall narrative; of these scenes are they're kind of necessary, but they're mashed together with these other kind of superfluous scenes, right? The dance club scene probably could have been well. I don't know about condensed. I think they should have just lost the cue scene, and they could have maybe had a little bit better flow there from when they separate to trying to figure out their predicament.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, he could have just had Cash say go back to the house if he gets into trouble anyways because they eventually go back there anyways so regardless it doesn't matter i'll chime into it just quickly is that yeah i don't mind them the scenes where they're going to try and prove their innocence couple of nice moments there for each of the heroes but the dance club scene is just absolutely terrible not a fan of cash and drag but i do agree with you nathan i did like the scene where catherine and cash flick their cigarettes at the horny cop there and i just love how that horny cop he won't stop in anything until he gets laid so that's pretty funny So back at the house, I guess it's Tango's house, but Catherine's renting it out. You see Tango walking in on the massage that she's giving Cash. What did you think of these scenes? Not just specifically the massage, but later you you get some interplay and some dialogue, some down moments between Catherine and Cash. And then you also get some brother-sister moments between, and that revelation that they're brother-sister between Terry Hatcher and Stallone. And then you also get more dialogue and banter between tango and cash in these scenes what did you think of all this and then the captain comes and gives them the lead to ponytail we won't talk about the ponytail in investigation interrogation but how about we start here i fucking hated the massage thing. Like,
2: it really bugged me. I'll come back to it in a second, but like some of the you other mean, stuff he the talked jokes, about. mean
0: just the jokes, se- the sexual innuendo or misinterpretation is, from Tango? That's what you're talking about? Yeah, because the
2: setup is just so dumb, I thought. I kind of get the joke and what they're trying to do here, but I don't know. There's something that was so irksome to me about the setup for the joke. So he walks in thinking that, oh, like, you know, like he's fucking my sister. But then it's so dumb because they played it in, in a way so from stallone's perspective but what is she getting excited for (laughs) you know it's just i'm not joking here like this really bothered me quite a bit what
0: is she getting excited for yeah oh yeah because of the massage is going
2: yeah like it's it's so fucking stupid it really did bother me because it they kind of worked backwards from they wanted to have a certain joke oh he's going to walk in he's going to think it's some sort of sexual situation and he's kind of dumbfounded a little bit and then of course like they have the scene with the captain there's like where they think like a you know like an assassin or whatever through the window or something like that but it sort of feels like a piece of writing where they wanted to have a bit of a sexy scene they got the massage thing going It's like okay well we want to kind of have we need like a way to kind of reveal the, the sister aspect but also still kind of play up the angle that it might be the girlfriend there's something about it I can't put my finger on it. That just really bugged me about the way they led to it. After that, actually, after like, you know, he runs through like the door there and tackles the captain and everything like that. And Kurt Russell comes out and I thought a bit of that interplay there. And then I think the final reveal of it being the sister and that interplay and some of that dialogue worked really well. And then some of the banter, you know, Terry Hatcher comes in. They've The three of them actually, like the three together, actually, I thought had pretty good chemistry and the banter that was going back and forth between all three.
0: I actually agree. I'll touch on that later. How about you, Jeff? Well, the situation is a bit of an eye roller.
1: It's a little over elaborate because they have to get Terry Hatcher to, in order for the joke to work right for Sly to come in and see it and like get the wrong idea. She's got to oversell the fact that she's enjoying giving him the massage. Like, it's dumb. I mean, it doesn't bother me as much as it bothers Nathan, but it it is definitely dumb. You know, the jokes later, they could have done a million different things there. I think that would have played a little bit better than how they landed on it. But I don't know, whatever. I guess it's okay. Once all, all said and done, the three of them have good chemistry together, which, I mean, that's a tough dynamic to sell. And they Terry Hatcher does a good job. I mean, you've got Stallone. Kurt Russell, and you've got Terry Hatcher, who's been in one movie in what before. a couple of one yeah, movie. one movie and a couple of chewing gum commercials. Probably, I mean, like that's all. And and she's right in there holding her own. So I think she did a pretty good job, and that trio works for us. You know, the little time we see them together.
0: And I completely agree. The. Massage, sex setup. I don't really care that it it was a little over the top and dumb because it really wasn't too much of a focus for me. It was a dumb joke, but I liked the talk that they have prior to then because it's still a little ambiguous because Mia Cash is trying to feel her out in a sense. Is she really dating? Because he thinks she's dating Tango and and all these things. Uh, So I, I liked some of that dialogue there, but I agree with you. The minute that the revelation is revealed, it actually gets pretty good between Tango and cash and i also like the brother sister banter about the rent in the house and he goes excuse me are you not staying at my house oh and besides you owe me rent and all of these kind of things and then tango's saying oh well you know cash i've never really hit somebody in my life even though i've never I understood that as he's hit plenty of people in this movie prior to then. But he says, I'm proud of the fact I've ever punched anybody out. Except (laughs) Peretz, men. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But I'm going to nail you through the goddamn lawn. I love the way he says some of these things. There's a lot of good jokes and banter here, and they're still playing off each other. I agree. I think Terry Hatcher is doing a really good job, considering this is one of her earlier roles here. And then I even like some of the brother-sister honest discussion later. Because, you know, the movie's been so quick and fast, they just need a bit of a breather before they go into the third act. We've talked about this many times before... Another other movies, there's a reason why this is a little bit of a slower pace and they need a little bit of a breather. And I thought this discussion here about him worrying about her, I love the joke he still has. He's still thinking financials, you know, if you need help, I can, you know, get you to invest in a bond, seven and a quarter yield, big money. It's a pretty good bond yield,
1: by the <laughs> yeah. way, in case anybody's wondering.
0: It's the 80s mortgage rates at this time exactly like, inflation yeah. was like 20 percent. seven and a quarter yield i'd love that it's a great line though
1: yeah it's a good line yeah
0: but another bad pun when he notices the the guy stalking in the backyard and he doesn't know it's his cap and he goes freeze bag, and then he does this <laughs> i actually i thought i laughed pretty hard there i thought it was pretty funny the bad pun came from the captain he goes Is this, oh this best free? best pun best great pun, pun. <laughs> <laughs> is this the way you screen you all, all your guests oh <laughs> uh, so good <laughs> it fits in the mood right so captain gives them the tip about ponytails so they go off and interrogate ponytail they capture him throw him out as bait in his apartment in a hotel and then they take him to the roof and they do the rooftop interrogation what do you guys think of the ponytail
2: interrogation I guess it like the guy, because they would not like, he had a bloody nose, so they had already roughed him up a little bit. And it's like, yeah, throw me off. I don't care, kind of thing. And it was such a, I couldn't really tell if he was the bravado, if he really thought that maybe they wouldn't, or he's like, I'm so tough that I'm not afraid to die. Uh, so I couldn't really decide between the two. And then some of the banter here between the two characters breaks down for me a little bit because I thought they're bad cop, worse cop. I don't know there was something there was something weird I, under, I understood what they were trying to to do to try and, and bring it out and I don't think that they were trying to like necessarily fool the audience with this but I thought that they could have had a little bit more fun with it because suddenly all the humor was completely gone from it even though you get like the crazy wild eyes from Stallone I, which I loved yeah I don't know I don't know how to feel about this scene I mean it was sort of necessary but I can't really decide if it worked uh, for me or not I actually like the scene I thought it worked it worked well for me. Because it
1: felt, I don't know, maybe authentic is not quite the right word, but Kurt Russell is like overplaying, being like the, you know, like, oh, you know, I'm not going down for this year. You know, I think he's selling it well. Like, we know that they're just playing the game in order to get the confession, but he's selling it sort of the right amount so the bad guy kind of buys it. I don't know that he would, but, you know, he's got that. Jerk off ponytail. So I figure anything's possible. Uh, But they have, (laughs) (laughs) like you said before, uh, before Harry, that, you know, this guy put on the Cockney accent and they're like, oh, that's interesting. So they gave him more lines, but every line is such a cliche cockney accent line like every single word out of his mouth <laughs> is like this is the cockney dictionary and all the bullshit words that but it's so great it's so ludicrous i mean overall the scene's fun i think it works generally especially considering kind of what's surrounding it at where we're going this is a little more consistent with the tone of the movie that has been enjoyable to this point and it's sort of an oasis because uh shit starts to go upside down pretty quick after this
0: yeah, I agree. I'm also semi-mixed on this scene. There's actually three parts here. There's the first part where they capture Ponytail and start hanging him upside down. Then there's the bad cop, worst cop part with the grenade. And then there's the aftermath when they're just talking about Cash nailing the sister. So I love the first and the third part. I agree with you guys. I agree with you, Nathan, that the, the second part where they're the psycho cop, you know, bad cop, worst cop part kind of feels a little forced. And maybe the setup really wasn't there. I'm 100% aligned with how you feel there. I also, even though I like how Stallone is, or Tango's playing it, you know, he's a little crazy, wide-eyed, he's, you know, ready to go. But, yeah, a little overplayed. But I love the first part, because I love Brian James, that ponytail guy. I love the Cockney stuff. Up yours, asshole. You ain't worth a toss. It's like so. <laughs>
2: it's so... I always laugh when he talks. I agree, yeah, it's over the top, but I mean, I just like, oh, I love this.
0: But then I love immediately after they're about to high five. They stop and then Tangle pulls back and goes, do you fuck my sister? That banter will continue for a little bit more in the movie. And I thought that was a strong end to this scene as well. I was a fan overall, so then let's cut to now, we're back at Special Q headquarters and the RV from hell. So they get the truck. So let's talk about this scene quickly. Jeff, go ahead.
1: Uh, this is pretty terrible, in all honesty. I didn't, I didn't like this at all. I mean, it's completely out of nowhere. And if that's not bad enough, then we find... I don't think we saw... I mean, I know we've seen the inside of the bad guy's lair, but we didn't see the outside, I don't think. So it's just some
0: rock quarry. Well, we're not going to get to the actual action scene yet. How about just at the Q's headquarters and then getting the RV? Then we'll Well, move to the infiltration. Okay,
1: yeah. So, okay, no, this is pretty ridiculous to me. I I don't really have anything else to say. I just I didn't didn't like this part at all. It's too far a leap from where we've been so far, I think. Like, nothing's been... I know we've already been introduced to the to Q and all the gadgets and stuff, but it, it's not consistent with what with the rest of the movie. As silly as it's been, it doesn't make any sense.
2: I agree with Jeff. I mean, it's a short scene, but it's from a different movie. It feels very '80s as well to have like the souped-up truck with all these weapons. But but then when I really thought about it, like other than the A team, like which was much like earlier '80s, I think like was this? I was just wondering like what the filmmakers were they thinking? Like oh yeah, like people are gonna love like this vehicle and so I, i'm a little bit puzzled i understand like they want to do that last big action piece there but when they were conceiving of this I, I would love to know like how they got to this point where like okay we'll put them in like this souped up super truck that ha- apparently also has like a computer in it that you'd never really see the thing that was also weird about it is like they went back there and like, were they called back? I don't remember now. Like, did Owen call them to come there, or they? No, thought, oh no. I got a buddy.
0: No, they just. Or they did you go to him for they just... him? They just cut to us? the scene. They just cut to the
2: scene. That's was it. there any lead up to say he can find out information
0: for us? No. So what happens is during this scene, as they're leaving with the truck, Cash asks him to investigate yeah. the no, that information on the base, and then they talk to Owen on the drive there.
2: Okay. All right. Thank you. No, yeah, that part I remember. But then as the scene unfolded, I'm like, wait, why are they here again? <laughs> just to get <laughs> so the truck. It was Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's so out of place, and it's... From a different
0: movie. I agree. Terrible scene. We don't need to talk about it any further. It's just there so they can get the RV from hell. I mean I do like the fact that it's bulletproof. It's got its own chain minigun and there's I think there's one line, I can't remember who says it. He goes, oh, who owns the pink slip? Satan?
1: Oh yeah, that was pretty funny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was a great line, but aside from that, I didn't like the scene at all. I didn't like the character of Owen either. I think they could have massaged this to still get a truck like this to help them infiltrate the base and have a little bit of a truck chase, but Let's move on. So let's talk that about... That should have them.
2: been the Clint Howard uh, character.
0: <laughs> they should have...
2: Like, he should have broken him out. And then he's got like all... Like, he was like a crazy inventor on the outside too. And then,
0: That's like, a great idea. Especially him. to get Clint <laughs> Howard more screen time. Because crazy people aren't afraid of anybody. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, the next scene here, they infiltrate the base. And you get the truck chase here. Let's talk about everything outside before they go inside. So, Jeff, you start.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, as I was starting before. So the drug dealer... Is this the payoff, the end result to being a crime lord, drug dealer, gun runner, is that you get to have a sweet pad inside of a fucking rock quarry, and then you gotta have all these like, metal band mice. rejects driving... He's digging yeah. for <laughs> mice. He's <laughs> digging for mice, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's got all these metal band rejects with motorcycles and like these armored cranes... This is just, not only is it absurd, it's just it's not very well filmed either, I don't think. I mean, I don't get a good sense of, like, it's not exciting or cool with the car, ch- with car chase or anything like that. I mean, you know, yeah, I guess they got the minigun on the truck, but other than that, I mean, they had to abandon ship there at one point, right, to get into, yep. the, into the whatever, the big rock crunchers there, so... I mean, that's kind of where a cheap 80s supervillain would have his layer, I guess. I mean, it's a step up from an abandoned warehouse in the docks. But other than that, it's kind of a silly setting for the end here, I think.
2: How about
0: you, Nate? Everything on the uh, outside. You know,
2: one of my... Oh, everything on the outside. One of my pet peeves in movies, to me, it seems like a... shows like a lack of creativity amongst filmmakers and also like maybe a sign of a cheap movie sometimes is when they film shit in a rock quarry. It's just uncreative and it doesn't fit. Yeah, it's like... Why is he out there? And there's also another couple of things like rape when they're kind of on the ridge before they have the big action piece. I noticed, like, I wonder if this again was like part of the reshoots that they went through to kind of try and fix the ending. Because there's a bunch of VO where Owen is talking to them, I guess, on the computer and they're talking back to him. And then they have a little bit of dialogue out on the ridge. And then when they get back, as soon as their backs turn, then there's more VO. That I imagine they're like, oh, we gotta like, we don't know what's going on here or like why are they here? Kind of thing. And I think Owen said that it was supposed to be an abandoned airfield. So yeah, why I was it a so. rock quarry? Yeah, it's so bizarre. I told
0: you, he turned the airfield into a rock quarry. Yeah, oh, <laughs> for, <geez. mice. laughs> <Yeah>, for mice.
2: Yep, for mice. The hunt and, is um, on. Oh, Jesus. And, but, then, but then, of course, like the dumbest thing is that the fact that the bad guys, well, first of all, when we saw the bad guys early in the movie, we didn't really mention this, or hit the flunkies, is that they all have uniforms, some of them, or a bunch of them have, they look like some sort of security force like with the kind of the na- dark navy clothes and the ball cast but then they have all these other like Mad Max characters come out of nowhere <laughs> and this crazy action piece why do the their jeeps have guns like guns mounted on the top but they had ones mounted up front on the hood of the
0: car well they actually had rockets so why, they had rocket launchers
2: they had rocket yes and they had rocket launchers they had like the big earth movers that can move as fast as they're and they abandoned that super truck pretty quickly
0: well, they were getting squeezed, right, to be fair. Well, yeah,
2: I know. But I mean, like, it, this is not a big action scene. Not really. They really laughed. It was, again, like a very 80s thing where they're driving towards Clifford Ledge, and the rockets shoot, and it's a big explosion, and the truck goes fly this big, giant leap. I'm like, oh, my God, that is ridiculous. I did actually kind of laugh when Owen was on the little monitor. And he was kind of talking to them or what? I don't know. It sort of made me laugh. It's like, you guys aren't like doing anything like bad to the truck, are you? Or, <laughs> you know, but it's dumb. It's just so stupid. And I don't think that there was enough payoff. I know there's more action, but the fact that they reveal this this truck, you think it's going to be important. And then kind of a lackluster action sequence anyways. And it's like
0: two or three minutes. Well, I think it's a bit longer than you're thinking. I think it's like five to seven minutes long, this whole sequence oh, maybe. Here. You know, from a filmmaking perspective unless you're going to make the entire thing inside the base with just them two walking in and just having massively long shootouts and fights you want to create something different from this is a trope in the building an action movie so i'm actually glad it's here how well it's executed is a different story i do think it starts off with a really good scene between tango and cash because at this point, they're talking about if they don't make it, Tango's being genuine, and he's complimenting Cash, saying he's the best cop he's ever worked with. And I love the comeback. Cash says, well, he's not saying if Cash doesn't make it, he's saying, well, if you don't make it, I'm going to date your sister. Yeah. <laughs> and then no, I, and I at that. I, yeah. I laughed at that, and then Tango just looks at him, and then you just see the big smile and charm oozing out of yeah. uh, Cash, like Kurt Russell. I love that scene. It's great. And these guys just have, you know, we've said it before, we'll say it again, I'm sure we're all going to agree at the end, these guys just have such... Great chemistry together. The only problem with the chase that I don't like is that it's littered with puns after puns. Like, where did this guy learn to drive? Stevie Wonder and all these other things. Like, this is getting to Attack of the Clones C-3PO level bad. And so I didn't like that. I I didn't mind some of the action. It's just the puns were bad. The only line I really liked was the comeback from Sly about the gun because he takes the bigger gun, gives a small gun, and then Cash complains, oh, why am I getting the small one? And he, you know, does the comeback. Genetics, Pee-wee. So he finally, you know, (laughs) is able to pay back that joke. I enjoyed that, but what was with the big dune buggy? All of a sudden, they go, oh shit, and they see a dune buggy coming towards them, and it's like, it's got no guns, it's just a a metal frame with some wheels on it, and they're afraid of the dune buggy. I was, like, shaking my head at that. Some of this stuff didn't make sense, but... The one thing that I did laugh at is I love the gas joke. Not because it's a good joke, because Cash says, well, I got good news and bad news. You know, both are running out of gas. And they just got there. They went straight from Owen's place or wherever that place is to, to here. And the only thing I could think of was that joke from The Simpsons where... McBain's driving the Humvee and he goes, yeah, mileage is one highway, zero city. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's the one thing that made me laugh. I thought of that joke, so but I agree with you. It's a bit of a mixed action scene, but I think it was necessary. A couple of good jokes, but still littered with too many puns. Now let's talk about the inside of the base. So when they immediately crash in. There's a shootout with some. No Name Guys, and then they get into the shootout with Quan and Lopez, and then the henchman fights with Ponytail and surprise martial artist guest star, No Name Man. So. Let's not talk about Perrette facing off with Perrette, but just everything in the base, including these fights with the second-to-last stage bosses, as I mentioned.
1: I think the action is certainly serviceable here. There isn't anything particularly that stands out. It feels like, because we've we've kind of retreated into some real bad cliches already here, because I think we know that they've got the sister hostage at this point, the puns are, yeah, it's a good thing they such good chemistry, because you're right, yeah, that, that <coughs> one dumb pond where he's like, where'd you learn how to drive, Stevie Wonder? It's like, really? That's the best you could do? Like, that's pretty terrible. It doesn't have the stakes or the tension that, like, the prison fight scenes had because those are the high points of the movie, if the third act, you know, this is the culmination of that, it can't outdo what it's done before. It it starts to fall a little bit flat. I think they're straining a bit in both the writing and, and, in the, and the setup. I mean, okay, so the outside stuff wasn't very good, but the setup inside, there's nothing really going on here that's very interesting or or different. It also feels like, they have the upper hand through the whole thing, so the tension isn't quite there. You don't feel like the bad guys have his ability to slow them down or to, to cause really any any harm, other than a flesh wound, the classic 80s flesh wound, which is great. So, you know, poorly lit, it's dark, can't see very well. So, you know, those are some of the problems that I that I kind of have with where we're at
2: right now. Just right. There's no real tension here. It's pretty predictable. I kind of wish that, you know, in Ducata and James Hong there, they got taken out. Pretty quickly, and I was a little surprised at that. Are we also talking about like the next unknown martial artist guy? We're talking about that too, because yeah, yeah, yeah. about I, about these I laughed not because it was intentionally funny, but. That guy broke every fucking piece of glass in that office. <laughs> yeah. Like Every every swing, every kick, he destroyed a piece of glass.
0: Actually, and I I it's was funny I wrote that down. I said he's <laughs> doing these axe kicks, you know, like the yeah. kick is coming from above and downwards. Yes. And that's really only yes. good for breaking shelves, and that's it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, we got, <laughs> got this
2: new stunt guy coming in. He really likes breaking glass. So you got to check out this kick. And they set up the office in like the most absurd way so you can destroy as much glass as possible. And I kind of wish that Ponytail's death had been a little bit more snappy. It felt a little bit flat to me. I did like the idea of like the grenade kind of coming back, but it should be like a little bit more of a tense scene there, you know, and then, but it, I don't know, it it felt a little bit flat. I mean, it's fine. It's predictable. But as far as like, this is really the last action sequence of the whole movie. And
0: it's uh, meh. Interesting. Right. So this is the one aspect I think I'm going to disagree with you guys. I actually Oh my god. really enjoyed this. <laughs> <laughs> the scene. I think the only problem here is that it's just a little too short. Like it ends pretty quick. Like I agree with you guys. What's with Quan and Goldukat getting killed in two seconds? That's like Jedi Council wipeout level. Yeah. Which is pretty pathetic, but I love the parts beforehand. I don't think you guys talked about it. Like the, when they get inside, there's about a one or two minute scene where they're still getting, having a shootout with some other no-name guys and you get the Uzis that you guys were happy about. There's Uzis making an appearance here. Staple of the 80s. I love it. And you get actually cash saving tango. And I liked some of those scenes there. And then when they get in, with the exception of Chinese guy and Goldicott getting wiped out too quick, I liked the fight between the axe kicker, surprise guest star and ponytail. <laughs> it was just too short. Now we're talking about tension in 80s action movies or any action movie. You know that in a movie like this, there's not a lot of tension because you know that the good guy is going to going to make it out. I just think when you guys are thinking about tension is that the fight probably wasn't structured long enough where the bad guys got their chances to hurt the good guys a little bit more. Because I agree with you guys. The one thing I do agree with is that Tango and Cash dominate the fight For the most part, I think, I think they got one or two punches in the other guys and that's it. Yeah. So I think that's just pretty much an issue with just maybe them running out of a budget and not being able to extend this scene. But for what I saw, I loved it. I laughed out loud at the axe kicks. We even got a flying leg kick from the uh, surprise guest star there. A little tribute to Shatner. I even love Sly Uh with the throat chop. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. And then I love the the grenade death with the finger. You know, remember plan B, asshole? Gash gives back to Ponytail. And and that that was a fun ending to that character. So those guys are gone. Now we get to Perret and Mirror Mirror on the wall and the ending. (laughs) So let's talk about Mr. Perret and his little plan here. He has rigged this place to blow. He has watched the entire infiltration on the outside when they first came in on the outside of the quarry he's decided to stay watch he realizes that they've infiltrated the base afterwards he still has decided to stay and he also set an alarm to go off i mean a bomb to go off previously and he's still there let's talk about his plan let's talk about the hall of mirrors how this is resolved and the ending on the outside with the heroes so, even though
2: the action leading up to this, I wasn't really in love with, I did actually kind of like this final scene because <laughs> it's so ridiculous, but I loved it. I mean, because it's like, man, what is that room even for? It is so insane. It finally kind of like fits. I mean, it's, it's
0: dumb, but it sort of fits. That's, Nathan, that's the yeah. area where he dresses his mice. Need to, all ah, the I see. Okay. All the angles <laughs> to look clear up. it up.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the true victims of that explosion really are the mice. Because <laughs> yes. they, they were probably gone. And the other thing that I thought was, you know, it was kind of, I don't know why I, I kind of liked it, but he's giving the bad guy monologue. And they're both talking to each other. But you can still kind of hear him in the background. But the sound level is low. And I don't know. That kind of made me laugh the way they did that. I was like, oh, this is kind of funny. But, you know, like leading up to this, did they know that, she was a hostage
0: oh well they did because when they came in the ponytail guy had her
2: initially oh that's right yeah yeah, yeah. sorry no i meant i meant like before that when they were no. going to no okay not, not. so but i don't know jack Pounce's like delivery i thought was really great and then i kind of liked when when they shoot him to like well how did you know uh well because the ring was on the other finger or whatever i can't remember <laughs> exactly like who knew what It's so ridiculous, but I kind of liked it. And then again, like another great trope of not just 80s movies, but movies in general. You know, you got 20 seconds, but you're able to like run out of a building and like clear it before it goes like full Hiroshima and you're fine. And then the final again, like between the three of them, another great scene where they have a lot of great three person dialogue, which is, I think, kind of a hard thing to do and do well in a lot of movies and have it like really zippy the final high five i thought it was great <laughs> but it, again it was one of those things where you know we've just like matt like we've just committed a giant massacre and we can still kind of make jokes about it i love that about 80s movies too it's just like the wanton murder that happens and they can kind of like shrug it off and like oh yeah and you know like a little wink and a nudge and yeah we're you know we were great cops. We work great together. Now I'm gonna date your sister. Kind of thing. And <laughs> it's just and that is this movie to a T.
1: <laughs> how about you, Jeff? Yeah, I never really thought about I mean, obviously the mirror room is absurd, but yeah, why, why does that guy even have the mirror room? But how they you know, they both pop him in the head there. I thought that was a fitting end, even though and I never thought about it before. I don't know why Harry, as you said, like he watches them infiltrate the facility. He watches them murder every single mercenary martial artist, bad <clears throat> motherfucker. Doesn't he have, he's got this super villain layer. Doesn't he have like a helicopter or something? Is he, he sets the self-destruct. Who is the self-destruct
0: system? <laughs> Problem is, is he's dug himself down into a lower elevation in the rock quarry. So he's got to like dig himself, <laughs> dig himself out at this point. <laughs> yeah, It's like, no, no, he's dig, got his mind burrowing up, a tunnel
1: to China. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yeah. stupid. And the countdown and the place blowing up. I mean, it, I guess it was fitting at that point. I love the high five, probably because nobody has ever before or since High-fived like that ever in history. So goofy. And then the, and then the newspaper picture of them.
0: Back on the, the, five, back on back the force. Back on the
1: force. Now, did you guys notice the other headline on the newspaper?
0: <laughs> no. Yes. No, I I'm didn't. am glad
1: someone brought this up. What was it? <laughs> There's two. There's two of them that are great. If I only saw the one. Ask not what the critics
2: say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yes. Awesome. Do you know what? Do you know what the other one was? No. Oh, <laughs> children who dress for excess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, but man. the Ask
2: Not What Critics Say, that was amazing.
0: That's awesome. What a great yeah. little find there. That's a rare antiquity onto itself. Nicely <laughs> done. Okay, I'm going to have to change my opinion of this ending now. <laughs> I, think, I think that tonally fits completely now. That's great. I didn't like the resolution with Perret, but he's such a dumb villain, so he really deserved to be taken out so quickly. The only thing I liked about this whole thing is that, because they are still slightly different people, and they have different thought processes, and I liked how the fact that Tango looked at the ring in the mirror and Cash was looking at the monogram, and that's how they kind of figured out which was the right pane of glass to shoot at, so I did like that a nice little detail even in the last scene and I agree with you guys the dialogue at the end between the three of them I love how Tango still says you know oh you know grow up just admit it you got sloppy and you stumbled (laughs) with the gunshot wound I thought that's a great line and then Tango also says later you know it's a great line I love this line it's like there's a lot of new pollution in the sky, and they name it Perrette. I thought that's pretty pretty <laughs> awesome. So, but yeah, the corny high five. I didn't I didn't like, even though if you guys noticed, they were trying to high five several times previously, and they were always yes. either stopped on their own or they were interrupted. So they finally completed the high five. So maybe in the future, in some movie, Getster and Greedo can finally finish that one as well. well that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> But I didn't like the newspaper clipping until you guys now mentioned the critic critics headline here. That's yeah. awesome now. I've changed my mind. I love the ending. I love that newspaper ending. <laughs> <It> fits completely. <laughs> so fucking awesome. So that ends Tango in Cash. So before I we get into our final thoughts, I just wanted to ask you guys a couple things. Actually, three things. Talk about Stallone because, in my opinion, this was even though he's still playing an action hero, he's still tough as nails. He's got martial arts moves and stuff like that. Beat guys up. He's playing slightly a different character than what he's played in many other movies. He's less machismo slightly more intellectual on a broad level, high-level strokes. He doesn't have that low, you know, voice that everyone, you know, tries to imitate that he does for Rocky. He's trying to play it a little differently here. What did you think? Did you like his performance here? Let's also talk about Kurt Russell. We all love Kurt Russell. Do you think this movie would have been radically different? And I think it would have been. Just provide me your comments and thoughts if Patrick Swayze stayed on. Would this movie have been as successful, do you think? And then lastly because this is the end of the 1980s. Is this a proper send-off for action movies and buddy cop films, or just action movies in general, of that decade, without kind of giving away your final thoughts? Oh,
1: wow, that's a tough one. Okay, so Stallone's performance, yeah, I thought his performance worked. You're right, he does play a bit of a different, and not a, a vast departure from his other action movie roles. I mean, he's still playing a, you know, a Tough guy, like he's a cop and a cop who doesn't play by the rules. He's still a you know, big physical presence. But he does a good job of you know kind of walking the line between you know being a little bit more refined playing a character who does have a little bit more intelligence is fairly well spoken and yet you know can still punch your teeth down through your asshole so it's a fairly believable you know in that in the context of the movie it's a believable performance and it works in the in the context here so he does a, a good job kurt russell is kind of kurt russell you know that's a good thing because he has so much charisma and that grin of his is so charming and he has such excellent comedic timing would this have been a vastly different movie with patrick swayze i mean shit, yeah it would have and i don't think it would have worked nearly as well and that's you know i'm saying anything against patrick swayze who you know very capable actor in his own right and is also very charming but probably to, for lack of a better term, is a little bit prettier than Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell's a little bit more rugged. I thought that fit the role a bit better, and and it comes down to chemistry as well. I mean, we, you know, who knows what kind of chemistry Stallone and Patrick Swayze might have had, you know, because that's you, that's what it comes down to. But I think we're definitely looking at a at a very different film if that's the case. And then to your last question, is this a proper send off or? the decade of the action movie i don't know i mean there are better action movies from the 80s i mean it has a lot of fun with a lot of the tropes of the 80s you know you talked about it a lot harry and i and i'm mad at myself for missing it but i kind of hear it in my mind for for not paying better attention to the soundtrack very 80s with the synth that's such a sign of the times so i don't know that i can answer that question i hate to be a pussy and and sit on the fence but i don't think i can answer it it's just not the best you know it's not as good as it could be considering the, the two leads right and the you know the soundtrack's great and there are some good action scenes it's just some of it is so ridiculous that it's hard to say yeah this was this is a great send-off for the
2: 80s Well, you know, Forrest alone, I think he did a really good job. And, you know, I looking back on like, I'm not as familiar with his career, but sort of looking at when this movie came out in relation to the movies he's already done. I think at the time, you know, this would have been considered like, okay, he's trying to you know, stretch himself a little bit as an actor ever so slightly. I mean, it's still, you know, his type of movie. And I think as far as, you know, Kurt Russell is, is great. I don't want to say Kurt Russell was boning it in necessarily. I mean, he's a pro, but I think he just showing up and saying, I'm just going to have fun with this. Right. So he wasn't, I don't think he was really trying that hard where contrast to Stallone who, you know, I mean, he's probably a guy with maybe, you know, especially at this era of of an ego, so he's like, I got a certain image I want to maintain. But he wants to, like, you know, try and do something a little bit different, even though he's not really coloring outside the lines that much. Yeah, and I don't know if this would have worked with Patrick Swayze. Would have had the same hair as Kurt Russell, right? I mean, I think his hair is pretty glorious in Roadhouse, which uh, you said he left this for. But I don't know if you would have. Yeah, again, we don't know what the chemistry w- would that look like. I don't really think of Patrick Swayze as a guy with like a great or it doesn't deliver a lot of comedic lines a lot the way Kurt Russell can. So I wonder what that interplay would have been like, you know, and I think because of the different tones and shifts of this movie, I wonder if that would have almost been, again, another weird, jarring, strange, weird thing with you have like this guy who's not really playing the straight man to Stallone's straight man. So tough to kind of say. And, you know, is this a great send off? Well, it has a lot of great things about the 80s. That I like some of the tropes, but unfortunately, it falls into parody at times that I'm not sure that... I think it is a fun movie of the era, and I think it it's a good representation of many things of the era, but I don't know if I would can say that it really is a great send-off. Could have been far worse, that's for sure, given the production quandaries. You know, I, like Jeff, I don't want to be on the fence about it, but I think I kind of lean towards no, I I don't really think this is a great send-off.
0: Okay, I agree with you guys partially, but I do have some different opinions. I agree with you that I think Patrick Swayze definitely would have been jarring in this role, and it would have been a radically different movie. Of course, I agree. Who knows how much of a chemistry he would have had with Sly that may have worked, may not have worked. I would agree with you, Nathan. I would lean towards it definitely probably would not have worked, because I don't really see Patrick Swayze in this type of role where he's a little bit more lighthearted. He's more serious, dramatic kind of guy. And that's where I'm going to go towards Sly is that, and that's why I think Kurt Russell did such a great job here. He was just, we talked about oozing charisma out of his hair. Every orifice of his body... I guess Sly would know in the shower scene, which uh, was probably oozing yeah. charisma. But I think Sly did a good job. You know, I freely admit I'm a little biased when it comes to Sly, but because I did grow up a big fan and I'm still a big fan who I think he gets a bad rap. I think here he really lets loose. He really, to me, demonstrates that he has the ability to be in a movie like this and more of a comedic tone, you know, playing somewhat of a slightly more intellectual range than in some of his more famous roles less you know in a less serious way it's a different type of movie different type of genre and i think he pulled it off really well their chemistry makes this movie shine and i think i disagree with you guys fully i think this is a very good send-off to the 80s this is an 80s movie in a nutshell by hooker by crook they got this movie made with all the, considering all the production problems i think it's lightning in a bottle kind of thing it's like you know How Superman was able to kind of finish considering all the production problems they had. Same thing with Star Wars. I actually think this is a a lightning-in-a-bottle kind of movie, especially now knowing all that happened behind the scenes. And for them to pull this off, it's amazing. And it's not just because they managed to complete the film and there are good aspects to it. I think there are... I, I had a lot of fun here. This All the stereotypes and tropes of an 80s action movie are in here. Now, is it the best action movie of the 80s? No. But when I compare this to, I think it's pretty on par with Lethal Weapon, the original. I think it's leaps and bounds better than any of the Lethal Weapon sequels. I think it's better than another buddy cop comedy out there 48 hours or another 48 hours. Those are terrible compared to this, in my opinion, for different reasons. There are good aspects to each of these movies that I'm talking, other movies I'm talking about. But I think, you know, is this a, as good as Predator, Die Hard, Rambo, First Blood? Obviously not. No comparison. But considering all the tropes that were in every single 80s action movies, now you look at all the Van Damme's, the Segals, the Chuck Norris movies, and all the other ones that Arnie Sly or Bruce Willis did during this decade, everything is kind of wrapped perfectly here. I think it's a great send off. That's just my opinion. Do you guys have any other comments before we get into our recommendations?
2: When I looked up the uh, the last newspaper, just to confirm one of the headlines, you guys should just go look it up. There's a fake Tango and Cash newspaper, Jack Palance sniffs rodent. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a... <laughs> Mr. Nibbles is said to be in sh- shocked but stable condition, and the picture is amazing. So go Google it. Uh, you won't be sorry you did it. <laughs>
1: That's all I got. The standout is the buddy cop chemistry between Kurt Russell and, and Sylvester Stallone. I mean, that the movie right here. I mean, for all of the tropes or, or not or the 80s synth or every other thing that we've talked about, it's those two that make this work at all i mean if it wasn't for that this movie is probably a colossal turd and for those two that's an unlikely pair for me to have put in a movie if i'm thinking back to the 80s i wouldn't have thought to team up stallone and kurt russell that wouldn't have occurred to me at all and it only occurred once to hollywood so it works well i guess maybe twice with upcoming guardians of the galaxy
2: but it's almost too good to be true how good they are together that's fucking fantastic I 100% agree. I mean, the real standout stuff is the chemistry between those two. Even just when they're doing stuff on their own, they're really great. Jack Palance, I think, is really good. I mean, overall, all the performances. Like, everyone equips themselves pretty well in this movie, I think. Even down to some of the smaller players, I thought. The other thing that I liked, the flow of the movie. Like I've said, like I mean, I, I can forgive a lot in a movie except for being boring. And this movie is anything but boring, and I think it's like a real credit to this film is that like oh boom boom we're going we're going we're going, and they appropriately placed the scenes where they need to slow down a little bit so that people can kind of catch up. So it's a very well paced film overall. And I mean I think as far as like just the overall, well I guess we can kind of get into the final thoughts later. But I mean those are kind of the big things
0: that I really enjoy. So how about we move into the final thoughts and recommendations? Nathan, how about you start us off first? Do you recommend Tango and Cash? is it also a rare antiquity? Yes.
2: Yes. Yes. I'm actually going to go and buy this movie now, I think, because I just got more excited talking about it with you guys. I did say it's maybe not necessarily a great send off, but I think now, like after this viewing and talking about it more, I think this is probably top five action films of the eighties for me. It's sort of within this genre, like predator, notwithstanding, but sort of the buddy cop sort of thing. And I think, even better than some of the stuff that comes later. You know, even though Tango and Cash kind of becomes a little bit of a punchline at times, this is, I think a really, really good movie. How about you, Jeff? You know,
1: I do own this movie, but I own this movie on, I don't know if you guys remember those shitty DVDs that had like the plastic.
0: Oh, I have those that. the Warner
1: brothers. That's what yeah, I have you got that, that too. Uh, yeah. But it's not, it was before they had anamorphic widescreen so I you know, played on a big screen TV. yeah it comes out small that's yeah, tiny little rectangle yeah, right i hate that i want to buy the blu-ray
0: but i can't find it i yeah. got to order it online
1: yeah Totally. So I watched it on that and I was just shocked and horrified at the picture and audio quality, but I feel the same as Nathan. I mean, I wasn't sure about some of it, but yeah, just talking about it and all the things that I missed. I mean, I would have absolutely recommended this no matter what before we had the conversation. It's pretty ridiculous, but Sly and Kurt Russell are worth the price of admission just by themselves. Everything in the prison start to finish is gold. Yeah, the third act is a little bit ridiculous, but they certainly don't make them like this anymore. So yeah, this is definitely a rare antiquity
0: for me. I'm 100% agree, guys. This is very high recommend. It's always been one of my favorites, and even if I'm looking at it through rose-tinted glasses, I can still see the strengths and weaknesses of this film. As I mentioned, maybe by sheer dumb luck, this movie came together, and it came together even if it was mashed together in a poor managerial way. I think it all works. Mainly, as we talked about, between the chemistry between the two leads. But I love the action. I love the score. I love the settings. The prison sequence is amazing. I love the intro, the setup. I even like the third act. It's not the best of all the third acts, but... In 80s action movies, it's very hard to nail an amazing third act as well. Even in other types of movies, third acts are really, as we've talked about Jeff numerous, numerous times, third acts are really hard to wrap a movie up in a perfect way. So, I mean, no movie is perfect, but considering the genre, you can't take it too seriously. And because this movie is so funny and it's so ridiculous, it all works. And this is not a movie that's so bad it's good. It's actually good. And it's bad. And it's good. I don't know. It's not one of those, you know, Batman and Robin scenarios where it's so bad, you have to watch it because, oh my God, it's so bad, it's become good. This is actually legitimately good. Kudos to both Sly and Kurt Russell and, you know, the trio or directors that were names were attached to this film and maybe John Peter's weirdo influence helped shape this into... The gem that it is. Hit all the right marks. Perfect representation of the buddy cop genre. I love Sly and Kurt Russell just as much as Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. I think there's a bit more depth with when it comes to Martin Riggs' character. Of course, I'll freely admit that, but I love them. And I think it's too bad we never got Tango and Cash 2. High, high, high recommend. One of the highest ones on the podcast so far for me in a definite rare antiquity because it's a shame more people do not know of this movie or will give it a chance to watch. I don't think it's widely appreciated, in my opinion. But I think we're all on the same board, so that's great. So that does it for today's episode, episode 28, Tango and Cash. Jeff, can you please enlighten us what you have in store for us next?
1: Yeah, so for episode 29, we're going to do another first on the show. We're going to do The Transformers, not the Michael Bay Turd fest. I'm talking oh. about The Transformers from 1986, the theatrical animated film, our first animated film on the show, and we'll go back to when they actually were cool. So that's <laughs> next up. <laughs> you didn't have to look at Shia LaBeouf for two. hours. Yeah, I was going to say, there's,
0: there's no the beef is not going to make his no presence. Beef. So.
1: No beef, no Marky Mark, baby. Just
0: giant robots shooting laser beams. Oh, awesome. Can't wait. Thank you guys for recording this one. It was a nice long one, talking about great Tango and Cash. Nathan, thank you very much for joining us tonight. And Jeff, always a pleasure. We'll see you next time. All right, man. Talk to you next time. See ya.
3: This is most disturbing. I think we must take some action. There you go, thinking again. Oh, Mr. Perret, I insist. Don't insult! Insistent people make me angry. Everything is under control. Oh, oh you're beautiful.